Debris, a Daredevil Fic, Part 6 of the November series, written by Saturn Child, read by Dr. Fumbles McStupid. Rating, Mature. Archive warnings, graphic depictions of violence. Relationship, Frank Castle, Matt Murdock. Matt Murdock and Karen Page. Matt Murdock and Franklin Foggy Nelson. Additional tags, Frat Week, Marvel. Prompt, Stitch. Hurt Comfort, Heavy Angst. Wump, Wumptober 2021. Developing Relationship, Fights. Blood and Injury, Mild Gore. Grief Slash Mourning. Post-traumatic stress disorder, head injury, alternate universe canon divergence, Daredevil season three, flashbacks, amnesia, suicidal thoughts, self-hatred, caring Frank Castle, protective Frank Castle, hurt Matt Murdock, panic attacks, night terrors, mild smut, mental health issues, hallucinations, eating disorders, happy ending, happy-ish, how can one be happy without Foggy? Last installment. There are additional trigger warnings for this fic that can be found at the end of this file at this timestamp. 2.34.30 Summary I'm going to kill Fisk. And he sounds at peace with it, like a man talking in an altar, making a vow to a loved one, and I'm going to make sure he suffers before he dies. Daredevil has had one too many bad days, and it's up to the Punisher, somehow, to keep him from doing something extreme, and to remind Matt Murdock of who he is. Debris. Scattered pieces of waste, or remains of something broken down or destroyed. April is the cruelest month. Breeding. Lilacs out of the dead land. Edge. I call a past that believes I'm dead on the concrete. Here, you can see where... I stood in rust, lashed to the grid. It gets to a point there's no sound leaving Red's mouth, but wheezing, spilling down to meet the tear tracks all over his face and neck, and then it's just breathing, choked and ugly like they were being repeatedly punched out of his chest. Xanax takes a while to kick in. The sound Red had made on that bridge. It wasn't human. Frank thought it felt familiar. The cry of a man who lost everything he cared about. Skirting as to avoid the thought, he holds Red tight to avoid another incident like the one with the broken window, keeps holding him even when he goes limp, dangling from the edges of Frank's arm as if staring down a cliff. It's a sight he knows too well. Back when their deaths were recent, when they were hanging over his frame like rubble, Frank hadn't known much either. Sure, he found himself a safe house, got himself food and ammo, planned, but those had been during his lucid periods. The other ones were shock disbelief. It was the bullet scar in the back of his head repeating sounds like a broken record. It was anger, dragging himself to Lisa, her warm blood on his thighs. Makes him wonder if it played over and over in Red's head too, the bullet leaving the chamber, Nelson's body hitting the ground, the sounds he made when it ended, when he stopped being Foggy Nelson and became a body among all the others. His forethought pays off. Red doesn't take long to struggle again. Feet reach to kick at the door in the window. Sluggish and slow. Short nails tear at his forearms. Head tries bucking back, and hips rotate in a familiar motion. Defensive maneuver. Red slipping, melting inwards through the pores of his skin, sinking into himself. But still he fights. Damn, does Red fight. An arm makes the suggestion of a chokehold, but the angle doesn't do him any favors. So instead, Red just holds on to him. Forearm to Frank's nape. Holds on for dear life and doesn't let go. 
takes him right over the edge with him. Fights so goddamn much. Frank is tempted to tell him to stop. Tell him he's okay. Jesus, you're okay. Calm down. But how the fuck can he? It's a losing battle. But Red's good at picking those two, and he keeps going. His body is the first one to give. Tense muscles and struggling limbs go suddenly lax and heavy. Exhaustion spreading like a stench, clinging to his skin and seeping in. It's no resignation. It's breaking. It's Red breaking all over again while Frank's got his hands on him to feel it happen. He's careful when he presses his nose to the curved tail of the surgical scar in Red's head, lingers there and breathes purposefully deep and steady, feeling Matt rise and fall along with his own chest. Calming him down is priority. It would be too easy for Red to do something stupid, Frank knows. Knows those first days stayed curled in a corner of a safe house with a gun to his hand, only one bullet in the chamber. It doesn't take long for Red's breathing to match his. His stuttered inhales and shivery exhales settle down so quietly, they barely disturb the stale air around them, shallow and slow, still mimicking Frank's pace. He doesn't let go, even then. Frank knows Matt, knows he can be unpredictable, especially when it comes to how much he can take, how long he can keep going, how far he can push himself. Hell, Red was walking days after Frank found him, head open on that warehouse. His hold tightens before it relaxes. He keeps his chest to Red's back, ill-fitting parka brushing against his dark shirt, while he maneuvers him to the passenger seat, gently gets him to rest before buckling his seatbelt on. Once he's sitting in his own seat, Frank sighs, all twenty tons of air leaving his lungs. He takes a second look at Matthew and the snow falling outside, the hollowed-out lines of his eyes, the splintered edges of a tear-stained face. He almost says something, but it'd be only for the sake of putting a sound— any sound, out into the silent void trapping them in the car. And Frank's never been one for empty promises. There's no running from the truth now. There's certainly no running away from Red by this point. Frank turns the engine on and drives back to Hell's Kitchen. Red insists on going up the stairs on his own. He doesn't insist, Percy, because that would have involved some kind of verbal exchange, and Red's all out of words. He does, however, ignore all of Frank's attempts of helping him up. At some point, he stops, and Frank knew that would happen, so much so that he'd been prepared for it, considered they were on the eighth floor this time. His knee falters, and Matt stills, and he stays. One foot on the step, another in the air, waiting, expecting the fall, the tumble all the way down, or maybe deciding what to do next, where to go. Frank watches. He barely knew Red before, and then he knew a different version of him, one without all the memories that put weight on his brows back then. The same man, either way, one Frank didn't think capable of giving up. But Red's feet hangs there in the air. He doesn't step forward. He doesn't let himself fall back. He stagnates. An itch like hellfire makes his throat burn, and Frank walks the rest of the way up to him, a hand cradling the small of his back to urge him forward. Don't you dare stop now, Red. Don't you dare stop now. Red stumbles the other step up. Don't you fucking give up now. Matt keeps climbing the stairs. He's blank as a sheet of paper once they get to their floor. Frank had to get used to seeing that particular look on him real quick over the last month. Matt would push until there wasn't a single string attached holding him up, and then he'd flee, out and far from his head. Check out. Come on, Red. He urges quietly, spares them both the loud acknowledgement of what changed. You need a shower. Words fall flat. 
Red's got no space left to take in information, so Frank goes instead with direct orders. He takes his jacket off, throws it to the flea-bitten couch. Pull your shoes off, Red. It works, if only just. Red tries, but there's little coordination. Cold's made his fingers stiff and unreliable, and he seems to forget himself. So Frank goes instead with nudges. He presses a closed fist softly to his arm to steer Matt to the couch. Crouches by his side and bumps his knuckles gently over the cold skin, stretching over his thin ankle bone when he forgets what he's doing. Reminds him to keep going again when Red stops mid-motion once more, caught in his head or far away from it. Other one, come on. And so it goes. Frank nudges him when he stops. Red works slowly on his shoelaces. It's his mission. Get the shoes off. Nothing else matters. If for that small measure of time. Getting him undressed works the same way, but Frank helps him with the rest. Turns the shower on, guides him under it before deliberating. He could leave him here, keep the door open but give him the privacy and step outside. He gives the heavy limbs and limp disposition the benefit of the doubt and does so. On the couch, Frank gets himself roped along with the basics, needs to feed Red something, has to give Micro a call, has to find a way to contact Nadim, had to find out what room was it that mentioned about the hotel before. Shit. Hard to keep himself in a one-track thinking now that it is out and done with. Frank wasn't out for denial bullshit. He knew himself. Keeping the truth from Red had been a conscious, deliberate decision. Not to say it hadn't been emotional. Frank wasn't immune to acting like an idiot and not thinking rationally. Especially, it seemed, when Matt Murdock is concerned. It had been every inch a calculated decision. The moment he was convinced Red's memory wasn't fucked up because of the loose bone in his head, but the shit he couldn't work through? Frank had to make a call, and he did. Did what he thought was best. Or maybe just easier. He's a fucked up piece of shit, but Frank's not one for self-deception. He knows he appreciated it, if not enjoyed, knowing Red outside all of the chaotic mess they were in when they met. Seeing him laugh and make jokes and be simply, blissfully, unaware of the truth. Of just whose name he had woken up crying out loud. Gets him to think on the one time Frank thought he had remembered it, when he was leaving for Kurt's place and Red stopped him, blinking lazily. Is Foggy okay? Frank watched awareness come and go, like the receding tide, but it never stuck. It made him wonder if it will now. Can I call Foggy, please? I need to hear his voice, please. And then it'd be clean slate again. It'd be Red mumbling, confused, telling him he's fine, just has a headache. It's nothing. Really, Frank, you're being overbearing. Frank rests his head back on the couch and listens to the running water coming from the bathroom. Red's face that day in that warehouse. He knew. Frank knew he did. Even mumbling and bleeding all over. He knew. A crash gets him jumping up, breaking glass. Like a slingshot, he's up and has his handgun aimed at the window. Nothing. A muffled sound comes from the bathroom, and Frank hisses a curse under his breath. Handgun safely put aside, he opens the door. Glass crunches under his booted feet. Frank snatches Red by the wrists to pull his bloodied fist away from the broken mirror. You're okay now. Quit with that. He grunts, clenches Red's wrist tighter when he attempts an escape. I said quit it, Red. Breathing is quick and shallow again. Frank catches his eyes, and he doesn't run away from them. The need to destroy and be destroyed in return is familiar, and it traps him in enrapture. He can't let it go. You don't hurt yourself. A growl. Useless. He can tell it won't make a rat's ass difference. Red isn't in the now. So Frank holds tighter, 
brings both of Red's wrists to one hand, so he can take the other to dig palms and fingertips into tender ribs he knows still ache from the break. Gives him what he's looking for in what controlled way he can, only so those eyes light up with presence. He needs Red here, aware. Fucked up thing that Red presses against it, leans his whole body into the punishing grip. Settle, Frank grounds out, like he has any fucking right to ask that of him. Like he hadn't taken his sweet time on the first floor killing those bastards, when he should have been up there stopping Red from getting his skull bashed in. Stopping Fist from taking Red's family from him. That's what the mission was about, wasn't it? Stopping people's families from getting torn apart again. And Frank failed. Got high in the thrill of the kill and the bloodshed, and took his damn time hacking up assholes when he could have been up there, stopping that bullet from ever putting Foggy Nelson in the ground and taking Red with him. Settle down, Red he says again, presses his fingers deeper, only to let go, and then Matt struggles, when the aftermath of the pain isn't enough, and he'll damn well make sure Frank knows it. I said settle, he growls, because Red's struggling enough that those shards are tearing at his skin again. Frank twists him around, secures his wrists behind his back, only for Red to cry out in horror. Fuck. He lets go, a dislocated shoulder and bloody wrist coming back at him. The significance of the bodies fists left for Frank to find hits him like a freight train then. Tied up, hands behind their back, unable to do shit about it, just like Red had been. God damn it. Matt stands there, ruby drip dropping from his fists to the tiles, chest going up and down, shallow and fast. Frank puts his hands up to his chest in surrender. It's okay, he hushes him, takes one step further and stops when Red stumbles back. It's okay. I won't hold you like that again. Just gotta take a look at your hands, okay? Can you... He offers one palm up. Think you can let me do that? Red lingers only enough to breathe more deeply. Still unsure. Still trying so hard to cover it. Hey. Eyes wander close to his. Frank catches them and doesn't let go. I got you, Matt. Silence. A bloodied hand reaches out shakily to his offered one, and Frank breathes a bit more easily, staring at something he can fix. It takes roughly half an hour to pull all of the glass out of Red's hands, and then a few more minutes to clean and stitch. He bandages both up to his mid-forearms to past his knuckles. By then, the fight-or-flight state has seeped out of Matt and left only a husk behind. Frank guides him to the bed then, touches the mostly unharmed skin of his left palm, stares at half-lidded, shimmering hazel greens, and faces Red's pain, unafraid, unmoving, lets it have him. His own goddamn mistake. They have Foggy! It took a while for Frank to understand what that meant. Coffee on his lips, phone close to his ear. And then it clicked. Soft guiding touches, even when the blonde once looked fed up with red. A small smile. You did great, Foggy. One he seemed to reserve only for the other lawyer. It's a warehouse, two floors, 47th and 10th, by the Mexican restaurant. A shaky, desperate plea. He's all I have. He had been in the first floor, staring at that odd, crooked copy of the devil coming down the stairs, when the first gunshot came. A cry followed it, and then, Oh my god, Matt? Matt? Are you okay? And then pleading. Red pleading with a voice Frank had never heard on him. The second gunshot came in tandem with an inhuman cry, and then the fake devil came at him. Hello, Frank. Mr. Fist sends his regards. He hadn't even tried engaging Frank in a fight. Just played with him a psychopathic smile tearing at his face, dodged all of his attempts only to throw a screwdriver at his face and disappear. 
By the time Frank blinked himself awake, seconds, only seconds, and he made it up the stairs. The second floor was a bloodbath, a big puddle in the middle, spreading from a blonde-haired head, and red, a crowbar forgotten by his side, crawling across the floor, hands reaching out to a dead body. The next morning is quiet, and Frank feels like shit. He barely slept, making sure Red didn't wake up and hurt himself again. Matt wakes up, still trapped in that unnerving state. Thousand-yard stare that keeps Frank at bay, just shy of reaching him, either creeping to the floor or staring up at the ceiling. He walks slowly, as if suspended on a dream and lost, profoundly so. He sits at the table, and Red's yet to say a word. Frank breaks a couple of eggs in the frying pan and watches. He just knows what's coming. It's been a month of watching Red's stubborn head run away from what's hurting it, for once, instead of directly into it. So Frank sits back, arms crossed while the eggs cook, and watches Red, his shoulders low and arms hanging from their sockets like pendulums, his slow blinks. Frank sighs, scrapes the eggs off the pan before they stick to it and make a mess, and puts them carelessly on a plate, turns the stove off before serving some mismatched dishes on the table and sitting. Red takes a sweet time finding the fork and then stops. Frank's used to it by then, nudges his hand so he remembers what he's doing, then nudges it again when he forgets there's a piece of food in his mouth. He doesn't say a word. Frank goes back to his own food, stopping only to watch him, making sure he doesn't forget he's swallowing while doing it, and chokes. He can't be sure by the looks of him, so when the silence sharpens into a blade, Frank asks, You good? He counts on Red, taking a hint and saying something. Clearly shouldn't have. Red only nods and goes back to his food. Frank squints at him. Remember how we got here yesterday, Red? He stops. Hand freezes mid-air while he was reaching for another bite. Eyes bob uselessly from the table to Frank's chin. Car. He blinks. We're not in the woods anymore. No shit. If the difference between Red's stubborn avoidant behavior and his forgetting was unclear before... It's not now. He's just that lost, that out of his depth. And Frank understands that shit. But the emotional seesaw was no good. Not for Red. Not for him. Gonna talk about it, Red? Doesn't look like he's disassociating, but he's not all there, either. Trapped in the middle, like Red always is. Talk about what? Mahoney. The hotel. A pause. Nelson. Red puts the warm coffee down. Tilts his head. Shit. They're not doing this again. Not again. Foggy Nelson. If there was anything of Red still present in the conversation before, it goes then. He drains out of himself like a leaking, broken sink. Every muscle stills. Limbs go dead. For a solid minute, Frank's in the room with nothing at all. Just an image. And then, just as abruptly, he's back. Porcelain mugs and glass plates shatter on the floor. The table is wiped clean. Red is standing, bandaged hands and wrists shaking, chest heaving. Frank is entirely convinced for a second that Red's about to grab the kitchen knife and hack him open. But instead of fighting, of finding some kind of release, any kind, Red shuts down again. His breathing goes quiet and shallow. His face goes blank, and he doesn't talk for the rest of the day. He wakes up to crying, torn apart sobs and wretched sounds that seemingly come out of nowhere but that doesn't match the anger in Red's face. There's Matt Murdock's agony and grief battling with the devil's clamor for blood and revenge, and they're tearing at each other just as fast as they weave themselves together. Why? Why are you lying to me? 
His hoarse voice reaches to Frank in the dark. He fumbles for the switch of a lamp and squints through the yellow light. Red, you're lying. I was there. I was there with him. Frank sighs, rubbing a palm over his face. Not lying, Red. You know that. Didn't know he did it, but knows he can spot a lie with those ears as easily as Frank can with his eyes or more. No, you're lying. I got there. I was there with him. He was safe. I told him. I told him he was going to be safe. You're lying to me. Stop lying to me. Matthew's hands grab at his collar and drags him close. Frank's hands find his arms in return. Scratched eyebrows gave him the illusion of anger, but Red is in pure agony. Red, you listen. You do your ninja shit and listen. You kept things from me since you first got me and you're lying again. You're... Red, goddammit! He grabs at Matt, and Matt grabs him back. Frank ain't letting go, and God knows Red won't either. Then his head snapping back, pain spreading like a circle of fire around his eye sockets with the impact of Red's knuckles. Frank doesn't let go. If anything, his fist tightens around Red's, his sweatshirt, and uses it to pull him closer. God fucking damn it, Red! Tell me the truth! He begs. I did. He licks at the drops of blood coming from his split lip. You know. You remember. Frank is ready for the next attack and dodges. Uses the grass to pull Red so close he can taste his shampoo in the air around him and knees him in the guts, just strong enough to upset the recent scar tissue, shiny and pink, from a month ago. So Red remembers where he got it. How he got it. Matt gasps, momentarily loses his air, fingers loosening around Frank. But he doesn't let go, and Frank doesn't either. He brings him close again, takes in all of Red's pitiful punches and curses himself for not watching his feet when Red kicks his legs from under him. Fuck! He springs up, only to dodge another kick, the next one hitting him right between his still-healing stab to the hip. Close combat with Red means using the only real thing he has to his advantage. Wait. But his head. His fucking head. It was three months, at least, before the bone was completely solid, and they're barely past the first. A powerful kick to his solar plexus tears a wheeze from him, and flares all the pains from old scars. Frank is forced to take his hands off of him, only to grab at his leg. Doesn't pull hard enough to get him to lose balance, but just enough that Red can't escape. If Matt falls and hurts that goddamn skull of his again, Frank will kill him himself. Should have remembered the kid has no self-preservation instinct whatsoever. He uses the hold as impulse to propel himself up, and kick with his other leg. Heat and pain explode on the right side of his face. Frank sways, but doesn't let go. Works through the disorientation, but just barely to fall towards Red instead of away. Catches him and shoves that head of his close to his chest, so it doesn't hit the ground when Matt, too, falls. His knuckles scream white-hot agony with the combined weight of him and Red, and by sheer dumb luck, stay whole. And then it's him, panting against Red's fucking face, and those fucking tears, and Red mirroring him. God damn it! You hurt that head again! Matthew snarls at him and bucks under Frank's weight, makes it clear he doesn't appreciate Frank's attempts at saving him from his own recklessness. Red wants to burn, but Frank presses down harder, lets all of his weight pin him down to the floor. Get off me! Right in his face. You gonna quit? Fuck you! Fair enough. So Frank maneuvers just so that he can grab at Red's hips and throw him belly down underneath him. His arm reaches around to grab him in a chokehold. If the kid won't give... Frank will get him to sleep real quick. Red squirms, puts up a fight, and Frank presses down harder, but doesn't start cutting off his air just yet. He bucks and kicks and curses and cries under his breath, but Frank doesn't let go. Not letting go, you hear me? He whispers by his ear. 
Are you gonna quit? Red only snarls, the sound growing into a frustrated shout. Have it your way. Frank clamps his arm tight, cradles his neck in the crook of his elbow, bicep and forearm pressing down his carotids. Red fights so goddamn much. Feet kicking up the floor, sounds get torn out of him. Come on, give up, Red. Give it up. He fights more, squirms and bucks and thrashes wildly under Frank. It's a losing game, but that never stopped Red before. Snarls and shouts turn to whimpers. Violent scratching turn to taps and weak holds. Frank presses the side of his face against Red, and he hates it. He hates it so fucking much. Putting him out. Feeling him flicker. Struggling to fight and knowing he can't win. Feeling him go down. I got you, Matt. He rasps. You hear me? I got you. Muscles go pliant. Frank presses the words against his temple, a few inches from the scar, shiny and pink. His head rolls down heavy, limbs go limp, and red drains through the floor. Frank lets go incrementally, making sure his breathing is okay. He sighs before straightening up, looking down at Matthew sprawled on the floor, out like a light, boneless and losing, always losing so damn much of himself. Frank's careful when he takes him in his arms. He carries him back to bed and lays him down on it, brushes hair away from his face before checking the newly forming bruises on his ankle, the shape of Frank's hand, the one on his belly and neck. They'd be ugly purple and black in a day. God damn it, Red. It takes a good twenty minutes for Matt to wake up, and by then, Frank has the bathwater running. The tub is not big, but enough for Red to fit in. Slow down. He doesn't give him a chance to snap out of his haze, just helps him up and pointedly avoids the reds and purples in his neck. Table to your left. Red dodges in the last second, leaning closer to Frank as he does so, blinking slow and heavy. When Frank settles him down in the warm water, he's a bit more alert. He blinks to the void between him and the bathtub, where Frank's hands work on lathering the washcloth with soap. You choked me, he points out voice just hoarse enough that Frank can't help the instinct of turning away before forcing himself back, stares right back at him, but Red's quiet desperation has leaked right out of him. He shrugs. You kicked me. Matt tilts his head. You did that too. You don't make things easy, Red. He shoots back, catches the whistle of Red's tongue leaving the back of his teeth, and speaks over it. You really don't. Frank shakes his head, brings the washcloth close, and hovers... Only when Red nods does he touch him, starts by rubbing at his shoulders, his chest, the nipples he sucked and bit weeks before. Then why am I still here? I said it before, Red. Will you make me say it again? Fuck. It ain't like Frank kept it a secret. Didn't he say it with all the words a while back? Tell him with all the fucking words there wasn't a thing he wouldn't do to keep him safe, and he asks? I'm not letting go. You hear me? You stick with me, Red, cause I got you. Matt swallows painfully, teary eyes lost. So lost. There's no words for the thing that twists in his chest at the sight. No fucking words. So Frank helps him wash. Washes his torso and legs, face and hair. Helps him shave when he asks for it. Red keeps quiet through it all. Shattering breaths, the only sound besides that of water while he cries. And Frank doesn't call attention to it. Lets the man keep his pride. And he waits waits for him to ask, or rage, or finally let go of whatever messed up things are churning around in his head, chomping at his stomach and every last sane thought he has. Red asks, but not for anything Frank had expected. Trembling wet hands find the back of Frank's skull, and weave through the longer, coarse strands of hair on top. Holds on with strength his shaking doesn't betray, before pulling him close for a kiss. There's teeth, 
reds mostly, and wet, sinfully plush lips, and sloppy sweeps of tongue. It's red bared to him, yet again, all the desperation and loss brimming to the point of spilling. It's the sound he makes against Frank's lips. It's that thing in his chest tearing Frank apart. He keeps kissing him when Frank's hands clamp around his waist in an uncertain grip. Keeps trying to find his lips once Frank puts distance between them. Hey, Red. Stop. Hey. Red stops, still panting. We ain't doing this. Not right now. Please. He begs. And fuck, he has to know what it does to him. He has to. Please, Frank. God's sake, it ain't the time, Red. But his hands say the opposite, clamping tighter around his hips, holding him back as much as he's keeping him from stepping away. My name. Fuck no. Frank shakes his head. Not like this. Not this close. No way in hell. You never say my name. I do. He's not lying. Frank. He brings his eyes up to his face, not realizing he had been looking down at all the places he had bitten and kissed before. He can't. Fuck. He can't do this. He shouldn't fucking want to. But there's something in his eyes, something that looks like the thing on Frank's chest, living and breathing and screaming to be let out. Matthew, he whispers back, and Matt makes a sound, something dragged from the pit of his lungs, and those gentle, persistent fingers bring Frank close. And then it's Matt's lips on his, setting fire to every molecule in his body, and God, Frank has to drag him away again, doesn't know where he manages the strength to do so. Sweetheart. A choppy exhale. Red's head drops into feet. This ain't gonna erase anything. It's not going to make shit any better. I just want something good, he whispers. And you're... Convenient, Frank mutters back. You're not in the right mind to... Fuck you. The whisper is soft, but enough to get him to shut up, eyes snapping back to Red's. Fuck you, Frank. He stands up suddenly. Water drops meet his shoulders and thigh when Red steps out of the bathtub hastily pulling the towel from the hanger and drying himself off briskly. Gotta be smarting those scars and injuries, but Red just keeps going, brushing furiously away at the moisture as if it had been the one to offend him. Jesus. He shakes his head and stands up, too, palm and finger curling around Matt's wrist. I know, all right. I know. And he does. Red doesn't do things half-heartedly, and that, for some reason, he can't fathom, applies to Frank, too. Just don't do that, please. Matt stops, but in the length of time it takes for him to make a decision and subtly inch back towards Frank, he doesn't try to escape his grasp. A nod, dejected but there, is his answer. Frank brings his in his lips, pressing it against Red's, slow, gentle, different from all the other times before, and Red? Red melts. Muscles turn pliant and loose, and Frank feels raw in the face of it. They lay down on the same cot. Frank spoons him close to his chest. Matt doesn't sleep for a while, and neither does Frank, but they don't talk. It's all right. Calm down, Red. Heart fast, limbs shaking. Has to do something. Has to. Red, I need you to get down from there. A broken, thick exhale leaves him. The air is cold and burns where he breathes in. Shoulders go up, up, down. His hand feels bloody. He can't move fast enough to get to him. He can't move fast enough to get to... Foggy? A breathless sob. Sharp, cold wind on his nape. Foggy! God damn it, Red. Don't make me come get you. That voice. Frank. Inside the... The place? Four walls. Two rooms. Coffee, nicotine, gunpowder, mold, blood, antiseptic, soap. The wind whistles loud in his ear. 
He has to do something. He has to find... Foggy! His knees hurt. His thighs burn. Why? He tilts his head, follows the sound waves of Frank's thundering heartbeat. Matt's fingers curled around the window rail. Why is he on the window? Red, for God's sake, that's an eight-story drop. Come inside! Frank, he whispers. They can't hear him. They can't see him move, or they'll come back to hurt him more. And if they know Frank's here, they'll never let Foggy live. You have to get Foggy out of here, he whispers. His hands are not bound? No, that's not right. They tied his hands tight. His shoulder hurt. They're going to hurt him. They can't hurt him. All right, get down from there and we'll take a skip in his heartbeat. Frank's breathing is odd, painful. Is he hurt? We'll take Nelson somewhere safe. Just can you, can you step down from there, Maddie? He's crouched, Matt notices. Crouched on the windowsill. Frank is probably scared he'll get hurt. Frank, where's Foggy? We need to get to Foggy. He steps inside and is suddenly attacked. No, not attacked. Held. One of Frank's arms suddenly clamps around his waist and brings him to a very tight hug, the other shutting the window closed before dragging him away from it. A very fast, very labored breathing makes Frank's chest stutter. He breaks of adrenaline and fear. His lips find his hair. Whispered curses drop and spill from his scalp to his neck. Okay, you're okay. God fucking damn it. You're okay. Christ. Rough, trembled palms smooth his hair back, and Maddie is very confused. But it doesn't make sense. Did we find Foggy? Is Foggy okay? Frank's heartbeat keeps hammering against his ear. Thump, thump, thump. His body adjusts to its rhythm, swaying softly with it. Frank, Foggy. Red. Rustling, shaking his head. Angry? No, not enough of the static buzz tremor in the air. Frustration? Maybe. Sad. Sadness. And the back of his tongue, and grief in the fingers carting through his hair. Do you remember where you are? No, he doesn't. It doesn't matter. He's with Foggy, and Foggy's with bad people, and Matt is bound and needs to help him. But Frank wasn't there, and he's not bound anymore. Red? He's dead, he rasps, and his whole body shakes with him, from his toes to his head and all of his organs. Spasms take over the muscles of his throat, forces the thick feeling out until it spills like salt water. The lump, the anger, and the truth, all of it. Frank, he's dead. My friend's dead. Foggy, he's dead. Frank, he's my friend. He's my friend. Hands pulling him close to his sturdy chest. Foggy crying for them to leave him alone. Frank trying to comfort him with hands in his hair. But Foggy is dead. His best friend, his family, dead. And it's his fault. I did this, he thinks he whispers. I did this. He cries ugly, deep sobs and wails that get lost in the folds of Frank's shirt. And Frank lets him. He lets him and doesn't say anything. Doesn't ask for anything in return. He better than anyone knows what a good empty condolence does. The next few days pass in a haze. Red doesn't get out of bed for the first two before Frank has enough and drags him from it, shoving him into the shower and getting him to eat. Red throws up, but the soup Frank gets him later at night stays long enough. There's no new episodes of forgetting. There's panic attacks and sudden crying, and Frank has to drag Red away from destroying his whole kitchen at some point, but no forgetting. Red knows now, and he's not running from it anymore, as much as it destroys him. The end of the week sees Frank sitting down by his old radio, beaten down and missing a few buttons, but functional. 
He listens for the news, since he left his police scanner in Queens and wasn't so sure about leaving Red alone to go get it. When Wilson Fisk declared his appeal to the New York Supreme Court, they came through. Several citizens are concerned about this turn of events, especially today, which marks a month and two weeks since the brutal murder of Franklin Nelson, DA candidate known for exposing Fisk in a video that turned viral just moments after his death. Fisk's attorneys claim that. Movement from his peripheral. Frank's gaze jumped to the cot, hands freezing, where he had been assembling back his colt to watch Red's open, sightless eyes staring vacantly at the ceiling as he listens. Some claim the daredevil, known vigilante from Hell's Kitchen, framed Fisk for the bombings in the neighborhood a year and a half ago. There's also some that argue the possibility that Daredevil was the one to kill Franklin Nelson in the warehouse massacre in an attempt to cover his own tracks. Red slowly drags himself up to a sitting position, and Frank immediately notices the difference. Frayed edges were now sharp. Red took his grief and honed it into a weapon. In his speech, Wilson Fisk declared his freedom and announced that Daredevil is the real threat to the city. He stands up, shattered to his core and torn apart, but he does, walks carefully towards Frank, eyes lost to the ground, thighs pressed against Frank's knees when he comes impossibly close, reaching over to the radio, turning it off. Frank doesn't attempt following him with his eyes once Red walks past him without acknowledging him once. He nods, tonguing at his chapped upper lip, straining his ears to hear him move. There's no sound. Red's his own kind of geared up. You there, Red? He asks, dropping the gun after putting the mag on. He finally looks over his shoulder, following the foreign shadows stalking through the kitchen, filling a glass of water. He doesn't acknowledge the question or Frank, not disassociating them. Once he walks closer, Frank sees him with his gaze again. What do you need, Red? That ought to get something out of him because they both know he's thinking, planning, scheming. They're not too different, Red and he. Frank let grief destroy him just enough so the scar tissue became armor, so Lost became a bullet, and Frank's aim was damn near impeccable. Not much, he finally answers, drinking the glass of water slowly, every movement measured, every step careful. He leaves the empty cup on the floor, sits on the cot, closes his eyes before tilting his head back to the ceiling, letting sunlight catch and warm up the skin of his cheeks. And maybe it's because of that sight, of Red looking ethereal in the morning light, that his next words nauseate him. I'm going to kill Fisk. He sounds at peace with it, like a man talking in an altar, making a vow to a loved one. And I'm going to make sure he suffers before he dies. He sighs softly before opening his eyes, and Frank's heart punch, punch, punching against his ribs. I'm going to kill him and everyone that was there that day. Frank stares, and then shakes his head, scoffing in disbelief. You know what, Red? He shrugs. I understand. You want to make them pay. You want to make them gone. He leans closer, dragging his chair with him. But that, that ain't you, Red. Yeah? He asks, stands up, tilts his head to the side, and he's just begging for Frank to fight him. Then what is Frank? Frank shakes his head again and stands up too chest to chest, unsure if he's about to drag Matt by the hair for a kiss, or try and punch some sense into that thick skull. Not up for me to tell. He gets real close, so none of his intent gets lost in the middle. But let me tell you something, sweetheart. You don't have it in you. Don't go looking for it. The push isn't telegraphed, as the one from a week before, but Frank still manages to catch it, palms clenching down hard on Red's wrists. Red is fast. Frank had forgotten how fast he was bruised, hurt, and with a skull that was still a good two months away from being completely fine. He was still fucking fast. 
The asshole had planned it. Uses Frank's bruising grip to bring him close. Twists his arm just enough that he's got to be in pain, but manages to elbow him in the mouth and follow up with a quick kick to the ribs. He grunts and steps back, blood pooling from where his canine tore a piece of his cheek. Red steps back, too, breathing fast and shallow. If there's one fucking thing I know about you, Red, he spits the blood and sour copper taste out, is that you don't kill. He straightens up, hands supporting his bruised rib. Busted my ears off with the sanctity of life bullshit back then, and I thought you were a pain in my ass, Red, but I respected it too. You giving that up now? Steps close enough he can stare into the whites of Matt's eyes and know that Red feels the burn of it. That who you are, Matt? It's what I have to be. No fucking way. Goddamn if it doesn't sound like talking to a mirror. Frank shakes his head. Can't think of Red doing the same shit he did. Can't even. I get that you're hurting, and it feels like hell, Red. I get that. But you don't do that. You don't throw that away. You gotta give up in what you believe in? That's a coward's way out, Red. You a coward? Hiding behind a gun. Thinking it will make the world less horrible. That it'll make what happened in the park less horrifying. Do you know why Foggy is dead, Frank? His voice breaks before it goes down. He leans closer, and Frank finds himself leaning back. The day you escaped prison, I went to Fisk. I goaded him. Threatened to indict his wife. And because I did that... He promised me he'd put Foggy. All conviction leaves his voice as it breaks. Goes weak. Matt steals himself up in deep breaths. Fisk is mine to end. And if you stand in my way, I... The same vulnerability creeps back. But Frank sees right through him. I'll take you down, Frank. He nods. Get close enough so their faces are a breath's width away. You gonna kill me, Red? Frank is left without answers in the chair while Red makes his way out of the window. He's gone for hours. He's just off the phone when the window pane rattles, the rail sliding up, making way for the shadow spilling in. There's still blood on his hands when Red steps inside. Not enough to convince Frank Matt kept his promise tonight, but just enough to know he went looking for answers. Frank turns his head to him as Red steps past him, nods in consideration. Couldn't do it, Red? His voice echoes. Matthew tilts his head, but doesn't rise to the taunt. I needed answers. Frank doesn't look at the man making his way through the place, drops his gaze to the table and the poor lighting coming from a single lamp above. You found them? Glass clinks in the sink. Murdoch turns towards him. Some? Frank nods before standing up, walking with heavy steps towards him and ignoring the way Red tenses, curls into himself in preparation for an attack. The same man that told him hours ago that he would take him down if needed. Hiding instead of defending himself. It's all the confirmation he needs. Frank gets real close, looms over him. I called Karen. Matt's eyes widen. She's gonna take you home. Matthew stops, and none of them say anything for a minute. There's heat coming off of Red, but Frank feels cold to his fucking bones. It's not safe for her. She won't stick around. She does as I said. He attacks right where he knows it hurts the most. Red's deep-seated fear of being left behind of being abandoned. And he sees it. Matt's expression twists in the same vulnerable, falling apart way before it goes neutral. Good. He turns to him, and God, he looks young. The way his lower lip trembles slightly before he clenches his jaw tight. There's so much fucking hurt Frank can't unsee. So much of red he won't ever be able to wash off of himself. Tired of me, Frank? Yes. He answers without hesitation. Goddamn tired of saving you from yourself when you can't be bothered to give a shit. Hell knows I've been here, Red. So you go. 
You kill Fisk. You kill every single fucking one of them. But you listen to me. I will not be there to watch you destroy yourself. You got it? You're one too. Don't you pull that bullshit with me. He volumes up. Knows better than anyone what he's talking about. Red's face twists before it falls. His shoulders sag. They... they killed Foggy. I know. Frank can't help it. Can't help reaching up to brush a hand across his cheek, hooking a thumb under his chin to tilt his head up. But you ain't killing just them. You're killing you, Red. And I can't forgive you for that. Not for that. His voice turned soft, almost appeasing. I'm as much to blame. And then it's his soul being sucked right out of his chest. It's his heart dealing again, his lungs burning. Something you want to tell me, Red? He asks, quiet dread teeping into his tone. A knock on the door. Frank doesn't step away, and Red doesn't move either. Can't find the words to say it. Another knock. It's Karen. He steps back, and Red does the same. Can't help but wish he had something different. Ask what in the hell he meant by that. But Karen tears through the fabric of their little bubble by walking in, a confused frown in place, and then relief, hurt, joy. Oh God, Matt! Frank turns his head away when Red steps to her, hesitant and nothing like the man who sat on his cot that morning, talking about killing. He's just Matt, socially awkward and unable to comprehend why people give a damn about him, unable to get it through his thick fucking skull. Hi, Karen. It's as much of a warm reunion as Frank expected. Karen clings to Matt with all of her strength, and wearing her tears like jewels dropping down her face. Red hugs her just as tight, face partially hidden in the curtain of blonde hair. He doesn't say a word, seems just as out of them as Frank. I was so scared for you, Matt. Jesus! You should still be, he thinks. He wants to warn her, get her to take a step back and really look at Red. Red's either killing someone or he's not. Either way, he loses. And ain't that the truth. Doesn't matter what he does, how he plays this out. Red's already lost. Something he won't ever get back, and he keeps on losing. Loses his memory, his identity, his symbol and reputation, and now is about to throw those so-valued beliefs of his away. Red's eyes manage to aim at him, long strands of blonde clinging to his eyelashes, almost like he could read his mind. But no, Red's barely in the room. He's stuck in his head again. Planning, he realizes studying the bobbing eyes, the automatic answers he gives. You're fucking planning. At the door, Karen turns to him. Thank you for... Frank shakes his head, an eye on red, because he doesn't trust him not to pull the disappearing act again. Nothing to thank me for. She smiles, small and knowing. I don't think that's true. He nods softly at her before going back to staring at red, looks him in those doe eyes and can't help thinking of hugging him in bed, back in Harlem learning all the ways he could make him shiver and gasp, having Matthew's palms all over Frank and Frank's mouth all over him. He swears Red sees it too. The tight line of Matt's mouth softens, his eyes go suspiciously bright, and that thing, the thing he can't allow himself to name, twists and eats at his chest. Red? He can't help but call. Karen blinks, caught between them, curious but quiet, observing. But Frank's attention is all his. A pause. Frank? What else has he got to say? He's said it all, told him before, in no uncertain terms. He'd do everything and more to keep him safe. Can't believe it's been almost two months, then. He turns away, trigger finger tapping, head shaking, looks again. Don't get fucking killed, you got that? Red smile, a mix of wry, sad, and fond. He doesn't say anything, won't make promises he can't keep, or just doesn't care to. Thank you, Frank. 
He shakes his head at him. Nothing to fucking thank him for. Would usually avoid looking directly at him because he can't bear the gratitude in his eyes. But there's only red when he looks. Hurting and beautiful and strong. So fucking strong. Kieran gives them a look, but doesn't ask. Frank closes his door and stands in the threshold, silence growing around him, unsure of where to go. If he's being honest, he had been waiting for it. Could tell himself he didn't sleep simply out of habit of watching over Red, but doesn't bother to. Frank presses the phone against his ear, swallows thickly before grunting. Yeah? He squints at the clock on the nightstand. 4 a.m. He just left. A soft sigh. I don't know where he went, but he took a bag, clothes, some gear, and some kind of box, I think. Static. Frank waits, thumps his head against the wall, looking up, and waits some more. I don't think he's coming back, Frank. One bad day. And from the scuffle I've been sutured to, some flap of me is freed. I am severed. He doesn't need much. Practical clothes, underwear, his batons, the only knife he actually had. He tilts his head towards the box forgotten on the bed and takes it, too. Karen's heartbeat flutters for the third time. She's doing a poor job of pretending she's asleep, but as long as she doesn't try to stop him, he won't mention it. It's only when he walks past the front door that he realizes he had been holding his breath. Karen was... Karen was watercolor, faint and constantly being washed away. He remembered her, knew her, but at the same time, talking to her was odd, like an old memory, like reading a character in a book that lacked any measure of life. I'm Matt, he reminds himself in an undertone. It's four o'clock, Thursday, January 17th. I'm in Hell's Kitchen, New York. The cold outside greets him with a sharp edge, cutting into his unprotected hands, neck, and face. His ears tingle with the wind, and Matt touches the bruises Frank gave him not long ago. He shakes his head at himself. Frank gave up on him, had every right to after what Matt put him through, after fighting and pushing and demanding. It shouldn't hurt this much. Stick was right after all. He tilts his head towards the heartbeat on the fourth floor of the shitty hotel building, Frank's voice coming from the phone. Matt turns on his heel and walks away with no intention of coming back. There are other homeless people in the abandoned, unfinished building but the ones who do bother acknowledging Matt only nod, and Matt offers them the same. There are no questions, no prying. It's somewhat liberating. An old man eats out of an improvised bowl in a tent. Two younger kids talk in hushed tones in another corner. One of them has crackling lungs. Pneumonia, or the beginnings of it. Seven other heartbeats fill the voids of the derelict building. Matt sighs, sitting down in a corner and pressing his head against the wall so reality feels more feasible closer to him. The beginnings of a migraine make him dizzy. I'm Matt Murdock, he whispers to himself, unseeing eyes open to the ceiling, and thinks about Frank's ceiling. Frank's cot. Frank's hold. It's January 17th, Thursday. I'm in New York, Hell's Kitchen. Frank's hand working through his hair, his lips soothing the bites along his neck and chest, his arms pressing him so close to his chest and Matt falls asleep with the thought of his voice vibrating against his back. He wakes up with a name on his lips, isn't sure if it's Foggy's or Frank's. The confusion lasts a while. Where am I? Why am I here? Where's Frank? Where's Foggy? Find Foggy! Gotta find! Until it gives way to reality. He's in the kitchen, by 12th Avenue. Frank called Karen. Matt walked away. 
Foggy is dead. Fisk is going to pay. He doesn't want to get stuck in his loops, as Frank called them, but he has only a few tools to control them. Frank said he'd ask Kurt for ideas, but then... I'm Matt. It's January 17th, Thursday. I'm in Health Kitchen, New York. Foggy is... Foggy is... He can't. Can't say it. Because even if his head and body understand it, his heart doesn't. It doesn't make sense. It's foggy. Foggy! But the word echoes, stuck in his mind like he was in that warehouse. Hands tied behind his back and telling him, I'm not going to let anything happen to you, Foggy, I promise. And then the bullet, breaking bone, a heart stopping. I'm Matt Murdock. It's January 17th. He opens the ratty gym bag, pulls the gift from inside it. He had been planning to call Foggy, hadn't he? Even bought him a late birthday present. And then? Then there was the earthquake, wasn't there? And when Foggy called, he didn't have the courage to tell him. I miss you, he wanted to say. You're important to me. I'm in Hell's Kitchen, New York. And he's alone. And will remain alone. Because Stick was right. Because Foggy is... Foggy is dead. God forgive him. Foggy is dead! Matt remembers it vividly among the blurry of everything else. His breathing cut short, his blood leaking through the hole in the back of his head. His heart stopped and... And Matt knocked on a door, an awkward smile on his face. Excuse me, is this room 312? Yeah, who are you looking for? It feels like his own heart stops. God, he wished it would for that one second. Forget Fisk or the fake devil. Does he wish it stopped? Because what happens next is so much worse. It's the very real pain of loss, of his chest being clawed apart and pulled in all directions, ripped away from his muscle and bones. It's his lungs, unable to work. Air knocks right out. Oh, you're my roomie! You and me, Maverick and Goose, no secrets. God, Foggy. From all the lives he saved, all the people he protected, and the one that matters the most, the one he had sworn to himself he'd protect, no matter the cost, he failed. God, Foggy, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It should have been him. He was the one in the streets, looking for trouble, making enemies. It should have been him. If he hadn't gone to Fisk in prison, if he hadn't used Vanessa to threaten him, if, if, if. No ifs. There's no instead for Foggy. No alternatives. And there isn't any more for Matt, either. I'm sorry, he whispers, hugs his knees to his chest, and thinks of him. How his whole body lit up when he smiled. How his voice cracked softly when he laughed. How he had Matt's whole heart and... I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Fog. Wakes up. When did he fall asleep? His head hurt. Matthew blinks. Feels for his surroundings. Concrete floor. Cold and damp. Walls that smell of mold. Rats squeaking. His bag held close to his chest. In his hand? Nothing. He shoves it inside the bag and closes the zipper. The box rattles. He remembers what was inside. A framed picture. The three of them holding the Nelson and Murdoch plaque. A keychain. Two avocados with smiling faces. He felt ridiculous back then when he bought it. Nostalgic and alone. And then he thought maybe. No. No. Closes the zipper all the way. There's nothing. Just what he had to do and how he's going to do it. Nothing else. Where did you go, Matt? He had asked, frustrated and hurt. We all thought you were dead. The last time Matt talked to him, properly talked to him, Fox had been disappointed in him, 
hurt by him, and Matt had stolen his wallet and betrayed him further. I'm Matt Murdock. He jumps to his feet. He has a job to do. Get to work, Matty, Dad tells him. Get to work. He could think of what to do with himself later. The ones who betrayed Foggy. The real ones responsible for. It's January 18th. His head barely hurts now, consumed by the beehive. He feels for the knife in his pocket. He had a job to do. Get to work, Matty. I'm in Hell's Kitchen, New York. He climbs up the stairs to the rooftop of the abandoned three-story building, drops the borrowed threadbare blanket someone had sneaked him in the middle of the night, and sits down and listens. I'm going to kill Fisk, he whispers to himself, maybe so he can spot any lack of conviction in his own voice. Finds none. The devil is out. Matt can only take the passenger seat and watch now. I'm going to kill Fisk, he repeats. He waits for a telling skip in his own heartbeat. It never comes. I swear I don't know, man. I'm telling you. I don't know who did it. I'm only the message guy. I swear. I swear, man, I had nothing to do with it. Matt smiles viciously, pulls the man closer by his broken fingers. Lie. He throws him back to the floor, takes him by his ankle, and drags him across the floor and all the broken glass on the way. Screams thunder in his ears, and only when he's by the edge of the rooftop does Matt let go of him, taking the man by his shirt and hauling him off the floor. He ignores vertigo in favor of dangling half the guy's body on the side of the roof. No, 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 I'll tell you, fuck, I'll tell you everything! Talk. It, it was this British guy, okay? A, a posh British dude. He called a team, I, I don't know their names, I swear. Please don't, don't let me fall. That's not good enough. He kicks hard at just the right joint so his ankle breaks, fractures it in two places, and the only thing keeping him up is Matt. Kicks again so ligaments are damaged. May even walk again, but he'll limp for the rest of his life. The screams reach his ears. Someone downstairs called the cops, but it's hardly his concern. Okay, okay, there was another guy. A, a fed. Ben something. I don't know, I swear, he had the weirdest last name. Please, you'll kill me if you throw me from this? Matt tilts his head, four stories down. It won't necessarily kill him. Not instantly, that is. He decides against it in the last second. The man falls to the ground, crying out when his broken ankle bends and twists underneath him. And then he's crawling. Matt lets him, uses the time it gives him to reorient himself. A migraine building at the right of his head. Break time over, he stomps towards the man, steps down on his broken wrist and fingers, before crouching and letting all of his weight fall onto the mangled limb. The people in the warehouse that day. I want names. Screams fill the rooftop. He gets sloppy. Migraines start getting worse and keep worsening day by day. Nausea makes a comeback and eating becomes difficult again. A goon faints right and Matt falls into it. And one second he's overpowered, fallen to his back, kicks coming from all around him. His breath goes choppy. He can't move. He can't move or they'll see and come back and hurt him more and they'll... No. Foggy is dead. He's not at the warehouse anymore. The smell of coffee, nicotine, and gunpowder confuses him. Is Frank here? But no, he doesn't smoke menthol. Frank likes cheap Marlboro red and has always changed his clothes when he smokes them because he knows Matt can't stand the smell. Sirens come. Matt crawls to an alley. His migraine gets worse. Vertigo threatens to put him down. Where's Frank? Frank said they'd figure it out together. He held Matt by his neck and he said, Where's Frank? A rib protests his moving. Fractured. His head throbs. A slash in the back of his calf stings bright hot agony. He got sloppy, weak, 
Stick wouldn't be happy. Bad. He slurs. Was he hit in the head? He thinks maybe he was. He can't be sure. Frank would be so pissed if he knew. Bad, bad, bad. Get up, Maddie. His nose is bleeding. Mouth, too. His head throbs, and Matt thinks he throws up, swaying on his feet. He needs to call Frank. Frank's the one that keeps his migraine meds. Frank told him to call when he's feeling bad, and... And he doesn't want to be alone. He laughs at himself. Pathetic. Stick wouldn't be happy. Bad, bad, bad. He finds a place to sleep when he finally manages to move. It's not bad. It has water that Matt can bear drinking. Abandoned? Dust collects over the furniture, mold along the walls. He sits on the floor, peruses for the first aid kit in his bag. A burner phone tumbles out. He should tell Frank where he is so Frank can come and get him. His head hurts. Frank always gave him the pills when his head hurts, even before Matt has to mention it. The floor creaks. Frank? Frank, is that you? Creaks again. Oh. Below him. He's in a building. Blood drips down his busted nose, into his mouth. Copper scent in the air. Is someone hurt? Frank? <coughs> he coughs when the copper taste gets into his mouth, trickling down his throat. It's disgusting. His head hurts. Frank? I don't know where I am. No one answers. Benjamin Poindexter. He writes down the name so he won't forget. Right next to the other ones in the phone number. Doesn't remember writing it, but it doesn't matter. Ben Poindexter is the guy in the devil suit. Matt knew so. Was certain of it after going after him in his apartment, listening to those tapes. It had to be him. The phone number taunts him ink licking the sensitive tips of his fingers. Who? Foggy. Foggy's number. Why did he write down his number again? He doesn't remember the place he's in. Matt tilts his head, listening for the rusty pipes and the people fighting downstairs. Works his fingertips through the papers, abandoning the suture needle in his arm. Why did he have to call him? He had to call him. Maybe something about court? Hmm. Maybe so. He goes back to suturing the slash in his arm. Frank doesn't need to beat many lowlives or ask around to start hearing the rumors about a man in black beating up people. Badly. A lot of them end up hospitalized. The most recent one being one of Fisk's guys. Not that the cops knew shit about that detail. Only the convicted sexual assault charges on him. Served ten years and went right back out during the time Daredevil was just starting. Forty-something years, three broken ribs, a fractured hip, a broken ankle, and a completely shattered hand. Shit-ton of bruises, too. Frank makes a map, tells himself for about a day that he won't get into that shit and end up doing it anyway. He tracks every single occurrence. From the drug dealer shitbag that used to use the warehouse on 47th and 10th as distribution, before the massacre, appearing in a dumpster and taking a seven-story dive, and fist guys appearing beaten all over town. He brings the police scanner back to the kitchen, keeps an eye on the presidential when he can. It doesn't take long for sightings of the man in black to start happening during the day, too red slipping, and Frank recognizes the pattern and traces a perimeter. Following red is easier. Frank avoids thinking twice about it. He let red go and was now chasing him again. Why in the hell was he even bothering? Red was hell-bent on destroying himself. It only makes his search more avid. Red has got to be staying somewhere, and since he's technically dead, he has no money to pay for a hotel. But then there are blood tracks, and Matt leaves them all over town. Derelict buildings, abandoned apartments and churches. 
He sees him only once, through his scope. A dark silhouette, retching by a building, pale and shaky. He's lost weight. There's blood dripping down his hands. Three unconscious people at his feet. What the hell are you doing, Matt? His head snaps up. Frank's three buildings away, but that clearly is still within Matt's range. Red disappears so fast, Frank has trouble telling even in which direction he took off to. Tracking him becomes impossible after that. The one time he gets close enough. Five minutes later, sirens show up. And all right, Red, message fucking received. He goes back to his apartment and tells himself there's no point in worrying about someone who doesn't. Still, he finds himself sitting by that police scanner every night, leaving it on even during the day. Sighted at the presidential hotel. Suspect is escaping on foot. Six agents were knocked unconscious. I repeat, suspect is escaped on foot, wearing black clothing and a black mask. Frank sits and he listens, and no matter how much he itches and his trigger finger jumps, he doesn't go. Meeting Karen is a mistake. He knows at the moment he steps inside Clinton Church, and the small, fiery nun takes him downstairs, a grave look on her face. She tells him Karen is waiting for sanctuary. They talk, and maybe it's the things she says, or more about what she knows and just doesn't put out there, lets it hang heavy between them. Matt, Nelson, Fisk, the devil. Matt and Frank. He thinks you left him, she tells him. And fuck, that's exactly what he did. Got read the hell out, like you should have done in the beginning, when he still could. But now look at him, chasing his ghosts in the streets, waking up with his name on his lips. Tracking another one of his scenes gets Frank in another one of Red's hiding spots. No mats around to be seen, although some of him lingers on the walls and the wooden floors. The empty cans of food in a corner surprise him. Red hadn't been able to stand the smell of it when he was with Frank. The level of self-punishment will never fail to astound him. A paper by a mess of blankets on the floor, broken bottles in a corner, a whole lot of bloodied dressings, a bullet in a bowl, water mixed with blood, old. Jesus Christ, Matt, what are you doing? Seen it before, and God, he hates it. Hates that it reminds him so much of himself. He crouches down and takes the paper, traces the bloodied fingerprints on the corner, the messy, childish handwriting, Benjamin Poindexter. There were other names Frank recognized, some that had died in that warehouse, some survivors. A phone number right at the bottom, written so many times it's unrecognizable. He remembers that piece of paper he still had in his pocket not too long ago. Gunshot, touch, name. Back then, Red would suddenly stop sometimes, out of nowhere. He'd go so still, Frank would often stop with him. Happened again once, when Nelson's name was mentioned on the loud TV down the hall, and Frank knew. Knew all those shutdowns was his head running away from it, and Red tried his damn best to run as far as he could, for as long as he could. He turns to look at the bullet again. It's safe, his voice tells him above the gunfire, above his kid's laughter and Maria's voice. Couldn't trust Worth for shit, but for some reason, he thought Frank's heartbeat meant safety. Shit. He covers his eyes with a hand before rubbing it briskly across his face, ignores the stinging in them. Fuck's sake, Red. He should just come home. Just fucking come home. Going back to his flat doesn't erase the sight of the bullet in the bowl, the phone number on the bloody piece of paper. He sits back down, turning the police scanner on. All units be advised, this is a 1080. 1080 at 543 47th and 10th, Hell's Kitchen. Number of casualties is unknown. Property is an abandoned warehouse. Front part of the building was exploded. EMS are on the way. 
All units, this is a 1080. He jumps to his feet without a second thought. Red's fucking head in his mind. The bullet he found. The bloodied bandages. His eyes when he woke up. The way his face lit up when he smiled. Be advised, the warehouse was a previous crime scene. Of course. Jesus Christ, Red, what are you doing? The place looks like a goddamn war zone when Frank arrives, not ten minutes after he leaves his place. The cops still haven't arrived, but firefighters did. The front of the warehouse is completely gone in the flames, turned to rubble and debris. Trunks of concrete and blasted steel frame block the middle of the street. People from the buildings and the warehouse's immediate surroundings scramble after firefighters as they evacuate. The mess makes it easy to push through the blockade, gun up as he jumps blocks of concrete and climbs up the rubble to get inside the building. Cinder and ash falls and coats his scalp, face, and shoulders. Fisk's guys will be there, Frank sure of it. And out of his goddamn mind or not, Red would never risk civilian lives planting a bomb like that. That's why the first asshole with a gun he spots, he makes sure to shoot both his kneecaps. An agonized wisp of air preludes a scream, muffled by a crackling of burning wood and brick. Frank checks his surroundings before marching over to the man, digging fingers into his collar and bringing him up. Where is he? Oh my god, oh my god! Frank's got no time. He blasts the guy's fingers off the moment he attempts moving. Hey, hey, you like that? Digs his fingers into his face this time. Next time I'm aiming for your balls. Where is he? I don't know what! Blood splatters on Frank's chin. He doesn't need to look down to know some toes are missing. Where's the devil? A roar. Where is he? S second floor? I don't know where they took him, I swear, please! Eyes roll to the back of his head. Doesn't need to waste a bullet. He'll be dead from blood loss in under minutes. Frank stands up and heads for the mostly intact stairwell. The same stairwell Poindexter knocked him out weeks before. Same stairwell he heard the shot and Red scream. It's tricky going up. His only source of light are the dancing flames surrounding the front, and he can't always tell which parts are loose and which are only cracked. In those same steps, he hears Red scream again. Frank speeds up, walking past the place where a door used to stand to find Red, hurt and tiny from lack of proper eating, in his back, a gun to his face, wrists and fingers under a heavy boot. The man shifts purposefully. Fingers break. Red's next scream is pure agony. Frank feels like hell frozen over when he takes aim and shoots. The man drops dead. He walks forward, but favors staking the place out first before checking in on Red. There's a man whimpering with an exposed fracture in his forearm in a corner. One is awake and seemingly unable to move. Three unconscious, and the last one cowering at the end of A. Red has a gun in his hand. The thought is so alien to him at first that Frank drops his guard for a second. Time enough for a club to cut through the air, heading right towards him. He ducks in the last second. The thing ricochets and goes back to Matthew's shaking, mangled hand. A wonder he even managed to throw the thing. Leave, Frank. Sorry, Red. He stands up again, taking a head count of all the men he can see. Can't let you have all the fun. I said leave. I heard you fine, he growls. But you know what? I think I'm staying. Matt turns his head minimally then, only a strip of cloth covering his eyes. And fuck, there's bruises all over him. Cuts and burns from the explosion, too. You can't go there, Red. It ain't you. He tries again, heat suffocating his words. You go there and you're lost. You hear me? Matt turns to him, and just for a second, Frank thinks he'll finally listen. But then, there's the telling sound of the safety being pulled, and Red shoots twice, 
The guy in the leather jacket screams. His knees bleed profusely all over the floor. I already lost Frank. This ain't gonna work, Red. He speaks over the cries from Leather Jacket. He takes a step closer. Red flinches. You listen to me. There's no relief. There's no peace at the end of the line if you go down like this. Do you understand? I don't care! Matt throws the apparently empty gun to the ground, marching towards him. I want them gone! God damn it, Red! Get the hell away from here, Frank! Christ's sake, this ain't you! It ain't right! You don't get to tell me that! Frank dodges a punch, not so lucky with the second one, manages to catch his wrist and immediately releases it when Red snarls in pain. His unharmed hand twists at Frank's jacket. Frank's hands dig around Red's nape. I think I do, he growls into his face, before headbutting him, careful of the right side of his head. He tries to immobilize Red by holding his arms, but there's movement at his periphery. Frank lets him go. Red disappears from his side the moment he shoots the standing man in the guts. When he comes back to it, Red's already marching towards the bleeding man, hands reaching towards the knife in his belt. And Frank can't. He can't see the shit. Can't let it happen. His stomach turns, but he takes aim. Stop! Red freezes in his spot, head carefully turning as if to peek over his shoulder, as if he could see Frank's colt trained on him. He takes another step. God damn it, Red, stop! Hands slowly come up. I thought you were tired of saving me from myself. Yeah. He did, too. Don't do it, Rev. Feels like a decade ago that he tied him up to that chimney, shoved the gun in his hand. Fucking irony that this is how things are now. That Red is the one torn up by loss, and Frank is the desperately sorry asshole trying to make him see sense. Don't ruin what's left out there for you. Don't fucking do it. You hear me? There's nothing left. Bullshit, there's nothing left. He thinks of Karen, the nun and the priest. Thinks of days spent sitting close to that scanner, following him all around town. Let go of the fucking knife, Fred. You going to kill me, Frank? Don't tempt me. He doesn't need super senses to know his heart gives him away. Red nods and turns forward, and Frank knows. He lowers his gun and pulls the trigger. Matt's scream feels like pressing a blade to his own chest and hacking it open. He collapses on the ground. He takes the second of reprieve to kill the other four in the warehouse and leaves Leather Jacket for last. He'll deal with him later, because he can do it. He can live with it. And Red? I'm as much to blame. Red probably wasn't planning on it. The grace doesn't stop him. The bullet is still woven tight to the muscle of his calf. So Red crawls. And then he tries to stand up. Blood splatters on the ground. He grips the knife tight in a shaky hand, eyes feverish, bright, and delirious with pain. Sirens approach. The cops are finally there. Stop, Matt. He doesn't. Keeps trying to stand up, even when all his limbs start shaking with shock. His attention is solely focused on Leather Jacket, who Frank's quite sure is Jonathan Riley. Matt's snarling turns into a scream. Fuck's sake! Stop! His own voice falters, but Red keeps going, manages to stand up on trembling legs. And then he's blank, eyes dead, and face lax. So lost, and not an ounce of strength left to fight. Hey. Frank tries cradling his cheeks, but Matt fights. God knows where he takes the energy from, but he manages a sloppy right hook that Frank catches with ease. Soon he's bucking against him with renowned vigor, pulling so goddamn much that if his wrist wasn't broken like his fingers before, it sure as hell is now. Instead, he drags him closer to his chest, listening for the firefighters and cops making their way up. It gets dangerous. Matt starts pressing his head against Frank's chest to escape. He lets go with a curse. Red stands up in a jump and sways, side to side, 
breathing heavily. Cops talk audibly between themselves on their way up the stairs. Go home, Red. He stays there, swaying. Red? Eyes finally flicker back to life. Go. He does. Not before stopping to mumble, Fuck you, Frank, as he walks past him. The Marine nods to himself, waits to make sure Red's safely out of the building before turning to Riley. The asshole Poindexter didn't manage to kill on his way out. The same one that had put that bullet in Nelson's brain. Please? Riley's voice wobbles. Please? Frank was never one for mercy. He finds Red outside, limping his way to whatever shitty hiding spot he's in these days, as he hangs on tight to the walls. It doesn't take long to catch up to him, taking him by the elbow when he almost falls. Let go. Fat chance. A weak punch in the ribs gets Frank staggering a step back before coming right back. He thinks you left him. Karen's voice echoes. Take me home, Red tells him. I don't need you. I don't care. Matt tries to get away, but Frank holds him back, closer to the earth, one palm pressed tight against his chest. Matt falters in his attempts before resuming his fight. Jesus Christ, Red, you can't stop, can you? There's tears in his eyes when he speaks. I don't want to stop, but he will eventually. There's only so much you can put your own body through. And Red's been pushing that limit long enough now. Matt, don't do that. He shoves Frank away with surprising strength. Don't start doing that again. Doing what, huh? Frank crowds into his space, pushing him towards the alleyway walls, pulling him close. Saving your ass when you get in too deep? Taking care of you? Pretending you give a shit. Oh, fuck you. Christ, he wants to hammer it into his fucking skull. Get him to understand that Frank can't control this anymore. Can't get away from him even if he wanted, and God fucking knows he tried. Against his best judgment, he's attached. He's ready to scream it out loud, to do some permanent damage to Red's fucking ears, but stops just short of it. Because there's Matt, holding tight to the wall, breathing too quick, tear after tear dripping down his face, falling apart faster than he can piece himself back together. You left, he whispers, and maybe he's talking to Frank. Maybe he's talking to Nelson, too. You left. Frank sighs, defeated. Yeah. He fights weakly when Frank approaches, but he doesn't stop. You're okay. Come here. I'm sorry, yeah? I got you. He repeats again, because he knows Red doesn't believe him. And when Matt finally lets him close, he curls up close like he wants nothing more than to disappear. Red's torn apart. The couple of weeks he spent on his own show on every inch of skin he's got. There's injuries from the fight, two broken fingers, sprained wrist, burned shoulder, heavily bruised thigh muscle, and the graze in his calf. There's also the bullet graze in his hip, a week old or more, a knitting knife wound in his forearm, bruises all over. His ribs look like an abstract painting by this point. You take any breaks the past two weeks? He asks only for the sake of putting the sound out there as he fixes a few pop stitches in the wound in his hip. Matt turns his head back to him, but doesn't answer. Milky eyes lost beyond him. Of course you didn't. And there's the fucking bullet still inside his leg, the bullet Frank put there. Couldn't just have listened to me. You just keep on coming, don't you, Red? Just look at him. There's no part of him that isn't either bruised, broken, or torn. Never take any breaks. You feeling good about yourself now? Red doesn't answer. Keep staring right through him. Frank's never felt more seen just then. You shot me, he whispers, like not so long ago. I didn't think you would. His stomach swoops. 
Told you to back off and you didn't, Red. Told you a thousand fucking times and you just kept on. You killed him anyway. Yeah, Red. He drops the bullet inside the bowl, presses a cloth tight to Red's leg, and stares right through him too. Because I can do it. I can take a life and just walk away. And you? Red clearly doesn't want to talk about that again. You broke his neck, he interrupts, and told him. I know what I fucking told him. A pause. Matt's milky hazels keep focused on him. I didn't think you cared. Frank shakes his head, wants to rub a hand across his face, but it's the one Riley managed to stab a knife through, and the other one is covered in Red's blood. You think whatever you want, Red. Your hand. Frank ignores it and sets to clean up his hand so he can take a proper look at those fingers. It had to hurt like a son of a bitch, the way his hand was shaking. You can't stitch it up yourself. Frank sighs. I'll figure out what to do with your fingers first. I can do it. Frank's about to protest very vehemently against the idea of Red setting his own broken fingers, but Red's mind is made up. You pull, I'll tell you when it's good. Turns out Red's hearing is quite useful for setting bones. When they're done, and Matt's shaking a little less, he repeats himself. Your hand. Sutra kid is to your left. Nothing broken? Nah. Still had fucking hurt, though, but it had been worth it, pulling the knife out, taking Riley's face in his hands, and one batch, two batch. This is for Nelson, you piece of shit! Penny and dime. The satisfying snap of broken bone. A limp body on the burning floor. It takes longer than usual for Red to prepare the needle with his busted left hand, but he makes do, taking Frank's left one in his, carefully washing it. Frank hisses between his teeth, and Matt is quick to soothe him, a thumb doing circles on the inside of his wrist. He watches the redhead in turn. Even with only one hand, Red's stitches are meticulous and flawless. You're good, he mentions, eyes tracking everything but his ministrations. Eyes, lip, jaw. Used to sew up my dad, he answers, softness creeping into his face, a small smile stretching his lips. He gave me a shot sometimes, so my hands wouldn't shake. Frank can see it clear as day. Matt, a scrawny ginger kid, drinking a sip out of the bottle, making faces at the taste, putting his sleeves up and getting to work. I'm so goddamn sorry, he whispers, hand muscles tensing at the first stitch. Matt stops with the needle midair, head tilted down. I've had worse. That's not what I'm talking about, and you damn well know it. It's not your fault. I could have gotten there on time, Matt. You know why I didn't? Matt stops at the next stitch. Eyes turn up to him, eyebrows drawn down. His expression now is completely changed. Compassionate, ready to soothe, to comfort. Because I wanted to make them suffer, all of Fisk lapdogs. I didn't shoot the kill right away, Red. I took my time. Shut up. And if I hadn't, things could have been... Stop! It's a surprise the needle stays intact under the strength of Red's shaky grip. The tears glint hazy like the color of his eyes when they fall. Shut up, just shut up. His own eyes sting. Red looks like he's breaking all over again. It's the truth. Matthew doesn't talk for the rest of the night, but he doesn't disappear either. And when they both retire to sleep, he chooses to come next to him, messily splinted fingers caressing Frank's face with a soft, unspoken promise. Red forgives too easily. Daylight. Large are the memories growing elsewhere, beneath themselves. Sunlight shining bright red through his eyelids wakes Frank up. The extent of Red's injuries takes a new depth when Frank can properly see them. His fingers are mottled purple, 
His ribs are worse. The burn on his shoulder is bright red, although the skin is mostly intact. Sometime during the night, they ended up spooning. He lightly traces the scars on his back from the broken glass, those assholes from the bar dragged red over a month before. The skin was red where it had knitted together, some hidden under more bruising. Frank isn't sure of what happened to his thigh, but it had to be bad. Red was limping, and it looked like the muscle was crushed. It's not a pretty sight, but Frank curls over and around him, enveloping him with his body, careful of his injuries. Matt wakes up with a soft little sound that makes him curl up closer to him. They stay quiet for long minutes, Frank nuzzling his nape, red lost in his head. How you holding up? It's a stupid fucking question, and he's almost happy when Red doesn't bother answering it, besides a small nod. He doesn't seem to hold it against him, burrowing closer. Frank, he whispers. Frank grunts in question. Did you mean it that day, when you said we could leave? He thinks about it. Did he? Frank had work here, a job. He did what he knew should be done, and thought no one else should have to do. He took down the bad guys, make sure they could never hurt anyone again. Would he just leave, if he had the chance for a while? The answer comes surprisingly easy. Yeah, with you. Sometimes I just... He sighs heavily, and Frank looks down. All those bruises. All those scars. I just think about going far away. Frank kisses his shoulder. Yeah, me too. Red's sudden shifting makes Frank let go. Instead of leaving, however, Red straddles him, groaning softly when he bends over to kiss him. And fuck did he miss those lips, those hands, that warm body. He sighs into the kiss, holds Matt by the hips, and grunt when the man thrusts softly against his crotch. The haze of sleep is quickly fading, and Red is quick to notice, kisses becoming deeper, shallow thrusts insistent. Matt bites at his neck, and Frank groans when the clever tongue laps at the mark, grunts when Red bites again. Fuck, Matt. He only hums in response, busy with running his right hand over Frank's torso left arm taking his weight and shaking precariously. Fuck, his leg has got to be killing him. Frank changes their positions, rolling them over so he's on top, coming back to kiss that perfect little spot between Matt's collarbones, the sweet spot right over his Adam's apple, the side of his neck. Hands are insistent when he shoves them down Red's briefs, takes him warm and wanting in his palm. Matt's head falls back, his chest stutters up and down, and he moans beautifully. That's it, Maddie. He goes pliant. Unlike last time, that had been a mixture of fucking, fighting, and desperately holding on to each other. This time, Red's loose-limbed, eyes half-lidded and lost in the ceiling, as Frank feels him, and he feels Frank in turn with fluttering palms. His hips stutter up, and Frank pulls himself out too, pressing them together. Matt's breath hitches, and God, Frank wants to hold him just like this, for as long as he can. Keep him close. Safe. It's dry, and Red's hypersensitivity must make it feel like hell, but he moans and sighs like it's all he's ever wanted, all he needed, thighs shaking when he brings them to cling to Frank's waist. Matt's hands fumble to feel him, splinted fingers getting in the way. He takes his left wrist, presses it down to the bed before guiding his right one to Frank's shoulders. He's no good with words, but he hopes Red understands it. I got you. Matt holds on tight to him. You can trust me. A shiver wrecks them both when Frank thrusts, flesh dragging on flesh, and fuck, Red melts further at the same time as muscles twitch in lazy attempts. There you go, sweetheart. Low moans go up a notch. Matt's eyes slide open, and Frank, Frank wants him like this forever, beautifully his. Frank! 
he calls in a rasp, and he knows, can feel how the shaking in his thighs intensify, how lax muscles go tense, his leaking pre-cum making the slide easier, better. Hands hang onto his shoulders, the back of Frank's neck. Frank, I'm here. Closes his hands tighter around Red's waist and hips, and it's all it takes for Matt to tumble over the edge. Thighs clamping tight around Frank's torso, hot liquid pooling in his belly moments before Frank joins him. His biceps hurt when Frank lowers himself down, draping himself over Matt, the mess on his stomach sticking to him. But he doesn't care just then. They stay, Red's careful fingers trailing the broad expanse of his back, tracing scars and ribs and muscles. We need a shower, he mumbles. Frank presses his face closer to his neck, unwilling to let go. Yeah. Neither one of them move. Matt turns to press a soft kiss to his temple, and Frank has a hard time remembering when the last time someone showed him affection just because they could. Finds himself clinging tighter to Matt. If anything happened to him. Frank? Hmm? Gentle. God, so gentle. Hands come to caress the buzzed hair on the back of his head. You don't have to protect me. Frank pauses, then sighs. Rolls on his back to turn his front to Matt, and Matt does the same. Stares at pools of foggy, kind hazel eyes, and then back down. All the scars, all the bruises. He traces small circles on his shoulder with his middle finger and thumb, caressing the little constellation of freckles right over it. Not about having to red. The hands caressing his head stop momentarily, before he goes back to it. Eyes thoughtful but knowing. They both know. Frank sighs, slots a hand under his chin to bring him closer for a soft kiss. Let's take that shower. He gets out before Matt does, getting into some clothes and changing the dressings on his left hand, after he sits down by the table and waits. Matt doesn't take long to shower, dresses in some of the clothes Frank had found that fit him. He watches him go for his forgotten combat boots, the shoelaces charred, and takes a deep breath. What now? Matt stops, boots in his hands, and face turned roughly to Frank's direction. He looks painfully lost. I don't know. Frank nods, extends a palm up, and waits for Maddie to reach for it, brings his knuckles to his lips when he does, kisses each and every one of them, careful of the bruises and cuts. Karen's in Clinton Church. Matt nods. I'll pay her a visit, see if she's okay. Frank pauses at his voice, finds the discomfort twisting his face. Maddie? Hmm? He stands up, still holding his hand, reaching up to caress his hair away from his face with his stabbed one. You don't gotta do this alone. Matt squeezes his eyes tight, and Frank's not surprised at the tears springing up again. Please don't, he begs. Frank nods and doesn't say a thing more, because he knows what it feels like, doesn't he? Didn't he balk and refuse every single helping hand back then, when it was still recent? Was still his first instinct even years later? All right. I have to go. Yeah, and Frank understands it. Can't help wanting to ask him to stay, though. Instead, he carefully caresses the side of his face, the bite marks and leftover bruises from two weeks ago. After. He clears his throat, takes in everything of red with his eyes, every single hue of his skin, every single strand of hair. Matt. He has to know what he's asking. He has to. Can't say it out loud. Don't fucking die out there. Or maybe... Come back to me. Yes. Matt nods softly, and Frank lets a long breath out. You. It's Matt's turn to clear his throat, tilting his head with a frown. You make me feel like I... like I could survive this. He shakes his head. You make me want to. 
and it hurts him more than everything else, more than the sex and the kiss and the promise, because Red can run from all that. He can't run from himself. Frank kisses him once more, a pathetic attempt at soothing his pain, but an attempt nonetheless. He lingers for as long as Red lets him, committing his taste to memory. Matt leaves through the front door, and Frank watches him disappear by the window. And then he gets to work. Red made promises, but he's on a warpath, and Frank... Frank's going to get to the finish line before he does. Take out Fisk and Poindexter before Red gets to them. He can smell faint traces of his own scent coming from down the stairs. Blood stains on a sink that hasn't been washed as thoroughly. The bed Karen's in is familiar. Matt can recall the way the sheets felt against his skin. The memories weigh as much as a balloon and are quick to flutter past him, but there are glimpses. The neti pot he used to clear his sinuses, boxing with a man and losing, crying softly and hopelessly when it felt like he had lost everything. The thought makes him dizzy. Matthew? He startles, turns dizzily to the small woman standing by his side. Maggie. Hi, sister. She seems to stop, but her heartbeat is quick, thundering behind her ribs. In that unnervingly knowing way of hers, she watches him, and for the first time in months, Matt feels judged. Frank's gaze has a way about it. It sees you as you really are. No judgment, just the raw truth. Maggie's comes with a different kind of weight. I didn't think I'd see you back here. He offers her a poor attempt at a smile. I didn't think so, too. You disappeared. Her heart speeds up, betrays how she really feels about it, although her composed facade stays. A lot of people thought you were dead, or worse. Matt turns his head away. And then the other one showed up. The fact that she knows and doesn't doubt herself for a second, that Matt isn't the one behind the devil suit, warms something he thought dead in his chest. I'm taking care of it. By yourself? As always, she sees through him. Your friend talked a lot about you. Karen. He wanted to make sure she was all right, but the thought of talking to her, for some reason, makes him sick. It had always been the three of them, from the beginning, and now... He can't. He can't do this. She's better off without me. He turns away to head back out of the church. And so was Foggy. Maggie calls him only once, but Matt doesn't stop. He's just past the basement stairs and crossing right towards the door when... Matt? He stops, worries his fingers together. The tick reminds him of Frank. Hi, Karen. She sits away from him, and Matt is reluctantly glad for it. Remembering Karen and feeling at ease with her are different things, he learns. It's difficult to connect with everything when all of his energy is focused on planning, thinking next steps, and it still feels unreal when every single thought of her leads him back to... to him. You've been with Frank all this time, then? Matt nods. He found me. A pause. At the warehouse. Karen nods briskly in understanding. Looks like she wants to talk about it just as much as he does. Do you... do you remember me? Does he? He knows the facts, but working through how they connect to him is still so abstract. Everything has foggy on it. Everything has a touch of his presence, and the more he tries to think about it, the more he suffocates. Yes, but... it's confusing. How so? He recognizes the softness in her voice, the compassion. God, the guilt almost tears him apart. She lost her friend, too, and not just one. He tries to give her the truth. It's the least he can do, after everything he's done. It feels like someone else's memory. Oh. Salt in the air, wet in her voice. 
Matt's heart twists further. I'm sorry. She sniffs, taking a deep breath. Don't be. She shakes her head. It's not your fault. But it is. Every single thing that happened that day, and even before that. The ninjas kidnapping her. Midland Circle. Fisk, Poindexter, Foggy. And God bless her. Matt may not feel as close to her as he used to, but Karen clearly still does, and sees right through him. Matt. No, don't, he begs. He can't bear to hear it, not from her. Please don't. I think you need to hear this. There's a sob stuck to her throat. Matt can feel it perched in his own. She stands up and reaches towards him. Matt takes a step back. Please. Matt closes his eyes and tries not to cry when her hands find his cheeks. The scent of her tears mixes in the air with his own. It's not your fault. You don't know that. You don't know that. I do, Matt. What happened to Foggy? At the sound of his name, Matt flinches away from her kind hands. No, stop. Stop. He would never willingly put Foggy's life at risk. I know that. But I did. Unwillingly or not, I did. He stomps his way towards her, and Karen doesn't flinch. Doesn't move. She's strong. So goddamn strong. And takes all of his grief and anger and regret when he finally lets it spill. I went to Fisk in prison. I threatened to indict Vanessa. I put you both in danger, and now Foggy is? Foggy is? Jesus Christ, Foggy. It still hits him harder every time he dares think about it. The truth is relentless. It doesn't give a break. This is the reality Matt lives in now. A reality where his family is dead again, and there's not a single thing he can do, not a single place he can run to, that will make that any less true. And God, it's Foggy. Foggy who taught him feelings when he was so confused about his own back in law school. Foggy who took hours to go back to Hell's Kitchen every Sunday so he could get Matt's favorite sandwich from Nelson Meats. Foggy who told him it was okay to cry when Electra left and broke him to pieces. Who held him when he'd have nightmares at night after her. Who left a promising career because he believed in Matt. He believed in what Nelson and Murdoch stood for. It was Foggy. And Foggy was family. The only person Matt ever thought he'd grow old with. Karen, steadfast, compassionate Karen, is right there with him. When Matt's knees give out, and he's back on the ground. Wishing to God that he had stayed under Midland. That this had never happened. It's a mess of tears on both sides, and her hands trying to keep him from breaking, and Matt trying to hold on to her so she doesn't get taken away too, trying to remember what his idea of her looked like when everything, every single thing, was touched by Foggy's presence and... And Fisk. Fisk who did this, who sent people to kill Foggy, and then sent someone wearing his symbol to kill everyone else and frame him for it. Fisk who was going to pay. He lets go of Karen. His sobs stop. She tries to hold on to him. But Matt has a job. It's not about anyone else. It's Benjamin Poindexter and Wilson Fisk. And then, then maybe, if there was enough of him left, he'd go back to Frank. If only to say goodbye properly. Frank should have the chance to say goodbye. Matt, where are you going? Because Matt's the worst of all. The friend who betrayed him. Who made him a target and couldn't keep him safe. Matt, please. I'm sorry, Karen. He stands up. Be safe get out of this city. She stands there, desolate, angry, losing her friend yet again. God damn you, Matt! Through tears, Matt nods. He walks away from her and up the basement stairs, is just crossing to the main hall when a voice reaches his ears. Our son is so much like you, Jack. And then his world crumbles, if just that bit more. He's not sure how he gets to Fogwell's. 
He's lost between the pews, hearing Sister Maggie's words, and then he's standing there, broken glass by his feet, the smell of sweat, leather, and dust in his nose. He has work to do, he reminds himself. Get to work, Maddie. Get to work. He lets the devil out. You're not really falling for that, are you? Dad asks him by the lockers. Matt's hands are covered in blood, and so are the Muay Thai ropes around them. It drops on the floor. The sound echoes around the empty old gym. Matt sits down on the bench, works his stiff fingers open and closed. You fell for that trick twice before, and look where it got you. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't. If there was something major going on, or not, some sit-down between Fisk and the main mob bosses in town or not, it would be Matt's trap. There's only one real target, two if he's lucky, and Poindexter is there too. Been a long time since you used Muay Thai ropes, Maddie. Dad says. That guy in my suit beat Frank's ass. I can't beat him from a distance. Gotta draw him close. Make more damage. Drip, drip, drop. Whose blood was it? Oh, right, Turk. He found Turk, and he gave him information. Fisk, restaurant, sit-down, mobs. You're too mad to think straight, Red. Frank's voice echoes from the opposite side of Dad's. You want to draw him close with your head still on the mend? You gonna get yourself killed? He closes his eyes at the loud voices, scratches the flaking blood from the side of his temple before picking at the one in his hands. Barely minds the splint on his two left fingers. Matt, come on! Foggy's voice is a punch to his solar plexus, dragging a pained breath out of him. He squeezes his eyes tight, maybe stops breathing for a moment. You promised me you wouldn't die out there! His lips tremble. His hands shake. You're not here. Your mother didn't only leave you. Dad's voice booms by the lockers. She left me too. Matt blinks the tears away. You looking for sympathy? Because she left us because we're cursed. Because she knew we got the devil inside. The words get him deep, remind him of Grandma, saying something was wrong with him, reminds him of feeling it when the man did what he did to Matt. I left because I knew, Foggy whispers in that same tearful voice. I knew you'd get yourself killed, or worse, you'd do something there's no coming back from. So it's my fault? Matt asks, thinks of Foggy shot in the head, of Dad in that alleyway, of his mom, who knew him this whole time and never said a word, let him believe he was alone in the world. Frank scoffs from the other corner. Would you be honest with yourself, Red? He steps closer, lips right by Matt's ear. You put on the mask because it lets you be who you really are. It lets you hurt people and make you think it's for something important. Something good. Fisk, loud and thundering, right behind him. Maybe even for God. That ain't the truth and we both know it. Matt grins humorlessly at the man's voice, tears stinging the corner of his eyes. You and your father are cut from the same cloth. A corrupt boxer who takes as much satisfaction from inflicting pain as he does money from taking dives. The dried blood flakes. Matt keeps on scratching. And his son, who's trying to convince himself he's any better than his criminal father. Matt closes his eyes, drops his head between his hands, knees jumping restlessly. You were born from nothing. Fisk's voice booms around the gym. You remain nothing. And you dragged me along with you, Foggy whispers again so close and yet untouchable. Matt would never hear him again, hug him again. He'd never see Foggy again. You dragged me down with you, Matt. The restaurant is a trap, of course, and Matt had expected, hoped, it would be. It means Fist set a trap tailored for Daredevil, just like the one he tailored for Matt Murdock over a month before. 
but it's not Daredevil nor Matt Murdock that lands on the restaurant's roof. Not the passionate lawyer nor the violent protector. It's something else. Whatever is left of both. The darkness Grandma could see since day one. This is suicide, Maddie. Dad begs from his right. Matt tilts his head to the people downstairs, recognizes two of the heartbeats. You're not going to kill him. It's not who you are. Are you sure about that? Fist sounds impatient. The other people at the table have fast heartbeats and smell of unease. There's a dead body, his blood drying on the table. Matthew sits down, and he waits. Maybe this is what we deserve. Dad now, from his left, to be left behind. You left. Preferred the glory over a lifetime with his son. And so did she. And Foggy didn't leave soon enough. Maybe if he did, maybe. No maybes, Red. Frank, a heavy presence by his right. There's only here and now. There's only the truth. You screwed up. You refused to put Fist down, and now your best friend is dead. We brought disaster to every single thing in our lives, Maddie. Dad mutters. And Matt is suddenly alone with him on that rooftop. His hearing hones on the two heartbeats beneath him. Maybe we're meant to be alone. Maybe. But then again, wasn't that what he used to think when he first got to college? Alone. Put up a good front, but wasn't capable of letting people in. And foggy. He saw through it. Reached out a hand to bring him out of all the high walls he built. If Foggy heard that, he'd say, No one deserves to be alone, buddy. The whisper of his voice. So quiet, Matt's not sure he imagined it. Fisk gets up. The feds leading the way out of the restaurant. That's Matt's cue to go. He waits by the window until there's only an agent, Poindexter and Fisk, and only then does he get it. He breaks the rails with a kick and shoves the pain up, Frank's voice repeating in his head, you don't do anything stupid. Say it. Foggy's voice forever an echo. I only ever needed my friend. Fisk is a stain. While the whole world is burning in flames, all the sensory cues coming from the man are thick like molasses. Dripping grotesquely down the canvas, he paints a picture of the world on. It's obscene how much space he takes, like he's enveloping the whole room, suffocating Matt with the knowledge that this is the man who took everything from him. His symbol, his identity, his family. Mr. Murdoch. He sounds delighted. Matt's hands shake. His heart speeds up dangerously before Stick's own chant joins Frank and Foggy's. Get up. Get up and fight. The rate slows. His breathing turns deep. I thought you'd come. He growls. I'm here. Nadim. The agent's heartbeat is too quick. His vitals are all over the place. The stench of fear and helplessness is stuck to his very skin. His body language screams such discomfort that Matt does a double take. His heart screams an urge to run, and it's not from Matt. Fist turns to Poindexter. You know what to do. It was a distraction he could not afford, and Fist's getting away? Even less. He takes the knife from his belt, aims and throws it in under a second. Poindexter is quick. A fraction of a second later and the knife would be embedded in Fisk's skull, right in the middle. Matt's controlled heart rate derails for two seconds at just the thought of how close he got, and he's not sure if it's from exhilaration or dread. A baton hits him right in the throat, and Matt loses his air, staggering backwards. By the time he manages a hold around the weapon, Poindexter is kicking him in the solar plexus, sending him to the floor. The impact with the ground punches the remaining air out of his lungs, and Matt burns from the inside out at the sound of Fisk leaving. He's up before he's fully managed an inhale, running solely on adrenaline and fury when he attacks. Poindexter ducks once, but can't dodge a second time. The baton connects with his face. Matt doesn't give him a break, brings him closer, 
rotates his hips in a powerful punch before kicking him back. It's a mistake. Poindexter works better with distance, and Matt is in no shape for powerful air kicks with the pronounced limp in the leg Frank's bullet grazed, and conveniently, the same one which he took a hammer to the thigh. The man takes something, a fork, knife, from the table and throws it. Matt dodges the first, the second, the third is aimed low when he can't get away fast enough. The object nicks at his hips, slashes at the meat easily. Matt cries out before ducking low, escaping two, three more projectiles and running towards Dex. He tackles him by the waist, hit after hit landing on the side of his face, and, thankfully, the intact side of his head. The impact is still nauseating, and Matt fights not to retch. Dex! A voice gets the man's attention for just a couple of seconds, but it's enough for Matt to dig his nails and fingers into his neck, pull himself from his grasp, and knee him in the guts. Poindexter doesn't let him go. Instead, he pulls him by the hair and hits his knee against Matt's face. He thinks he hears his nose break. Blood runs down his face and all over his lips. Gets in his mouth. The pain that comes from the right side of his head is worse. He thinks he throws up on the floor. Dex, stop! The agent from before who accompanied Fisk out of the restaurant is back and immediately settles between them once Matt stands up, swaying from side to side, shaking his head so the liquid inside his ears will stop doing circles around his brain. Ray... A dangerous, cold voice. Matt's concentration wavers. You might want to step out of the way now. The NYPD is on their way. We have to go. Nadim's heartbeat doesn't change. Not a lie. Poindexter's, however, gears up. No, no, he can't let it happen. Not again, not ever again. Run. Matt croaks out, shakily gathering his balance. His head hurts so much. He's losing blood. Run, you need to run. Too late. Poindexter takes a gun and shoots. Matt shouts out in protest. Sirens get closer. His breath leaves his lungs. It's foggy hitting the ground. It's Matt standing up with a scream and lunging against the man who took him away from him. It's being hit in the head, listening to gunshots all around him as people died, and then being left alive. But no. It's Nadim, crying out in pain as he clutches the bullet graze on his side, and Poindexter digging his hands into Matt's shaking body and dragging him. The cops burst through the door in time to see the Devil of Hell's Kitchen taking a bleeding man hostage. Frank builds contingency plans exactly for situations like the one he finds himself in. Cornered with nowhere to go, cops on both sides, civilians scattered around that he couldn't risk on a gunfight. The way he saw it, Frank had two choices. He could either go back to the house where he just left 14 dead gangster wannabes and take his chances with the cops that just stormed the place. Or, knock down the ones in the back, take the police car to himself, and get the hell away. Not ideal, but Frank got the information he came for, so tonight had been a success. Now he knows more about the few people Fisk hadn't pulled on to the feds with that little agreement he had with them, and knew how to track them back to their little hideouts. Turns out Nelson had been right. Fisk had been using the FBI, getting them to take down his competition, striking to become the only source of protection for criminals and mobs alike. The radio crackles with constant noise. Frank fiddles with the buttons. His healing left hand protests his grip on the steering wheel. Tries to tune the thing to a channel so he can get an idea of where not to go. Available units to the Red Fish Blue restaurant. Daredevil was last sighted, leaving the scene. One agent injured. Man, place looks like a war zone. People, I'll ask you again that you maintain radio discipline. No idle chatter. Frank's fingers freeze. He stops taps his fingers against the steering wheel, listens to the creak of leather under his injured palm, 
The blood-stained gauze smarts the skin under it. What were the chances Red had anything to do with it, or was even there to begin with? Last time they spoke, when Matt left Frank's safe house a few days before, he had been under the impression Red was focused on Fisk and only Fisk. The feds are taking control of the scene. How come they were there so soon anyway? What about the dude in the black mask? Frank hits the brakes hard, ignoring the sirens he can hear heading his way. His hands tighten around the steering wheel, stomach going heavy in his belly. Cops that got there saw him. Sud Daredevil was dragging the black mask out by the hair. Whoever that dude is, the devil ain't happy with him. Guy's probably dead by now. Frank takes a violent turn and heads back to Hell's Kitchen. Matt wakes up at the sound of breaking glass, two bodies hitting the floor. His scalp burns bright tingling pain from the center to his nape and sides. His eyes feel heavy. Trying to move proves his muscles useless with disorientation and fatigue. The ghost imprint of the man's fingers on his head makes him shiver at the vulnerability. He doesn't recall passing out. At some point the last few months, even when eating, Matt had stopped gaining weight at a normal pace. He wonders the truth of it now when every single bone of his feels like it's weighing a thousand tons. Copper gets stuck to the inside of his mouth. Matt worries his tongue against his hard palate. Blood. Doesn't smell like his own, although it's close. He tries to pick through his memories to what woke him up in the first place. It was sound. Something like... A heartbeat. Too quick and choppy. Stuttering faster as the muscle strains to pump through the massive loss of blood. Something stuck to the man's neck. A broken bottle? Hurt. The man is hurt and dying, twitching on the ground with a broken bottle stuck to his neck. It cut through two main arteries, slashed the muscle beyond recognition. He's hurt. He's dying. Matt needs to do something. Help him. Save him. Then it comes to him. Poindexter. Fisk. Nadim. Redfish Blue Restaurant and the alleyway Dex dragged him in. A car waits, just a block away. Only two people inside. One of them bleeding. The agent? Matt staggers to his feet, copper sticking to his tongue, his nostrils, his skin, everywhere. A last beat. The man's heart stops. Matt's own falters at the lack of a following sound. He attacks. Hadn't been quick enough to stop him, but manages the speed to throw Poindexter against the wall before he can turn around. He punches him once, twice, roars out against his face when he knocks the cowl away. Still weak and staggering, but he has a job to do. Get to work, Matty, get to work! And by God, he won't stop until he's done. Dex manages to strike him with a quick hook to the chin. Matt's teeth clink together, and the pain spreads from his jaw to his temples. He nicks the side of his cheek. Blood fills his mouth. And the few steps back he takes, Dex pounces. Nothing around that comes across as an obvious weapon. But the man has proved himself capable of turning anything into one. So Matt prepares for it. The thought almost kills him. Instead of throwing the plank of wood Dex puts his hand on, he takes a swing at Matt, and it's sheer dumb luck and muscle memory that gets him to protect the brake still mendering under his skin with his arms. The impact still registers. Matt is thrown to the ground. The smell of blood and the stench coming from the dumpster disorientate him enough that he only notices how close Poindexter is when a boot downs on him with a brutal kick to the chest. God, does it burn. Like it's never going to end. Incinerate him right to the bones. Strip flesh from muscle and bone with every blade-like lick of a flame. The oxygen takes long to find its way inside his lungs again. But even then, the hellfire in his torso doesn't recede. Kicks. Matt's first instinct is to curl up and be as quiet as possible. Because if he makes a noise, they'll come back. 
And what if they hurt Foggy this time around? What if they decide breaking Matt isn't as fun anymore and it's time to move on? He won't be able to protect him, and he promised. He promised he wouldn't let anything happen to him. That he wouldn't leave without him. His knuckles scrape against something. A piece of metal sticking underneath the dumpster. He's not in the warehouse. Matt closes his hands around it, feels the ragged edge cut into his palms. He's not with Foggy. The shred of metal is stuck, so Matt has to pull. It digs deep into the muscle of his hand. Tears run down his eyes, and Matt cries out in agony. He doesn't stop. Foggy won't ever come home again. Matt screams when he pulls, jumps up from the ground and tracks the seams of the suit he knows so well, and drives the metal in. And then... Then his arm hurts. Like waking up, it's the first thing that registers. There are sirens far away. The cold is seeping into his bones, and his arm hurts. Blood runs down the length of his right arm and splatters on the ground. Poindexter is nowhere to be seen, and the piece of metal he stabbed into his hip was now stuck to Matt's right arm. There's blood on the floor. A lot of it. Whatever happened after he lost track of time, Poindexter had managed to overpower him somehow. And now Matthew is alone, and the car he had registered has its doors open and shut fast, a block away. Matt's bleeding. A lot. The metal, smelling pungently of trash, had nicked an artery. He tries to listen for his surroundings, tumbling towards the wall, breathing fast. What happened? Why couldn't he remember what happened? He didn't pass out or disassociate like he usually does. He was simply there, and then he wasn't. He hones his senses back to the car, the driver starting it back up. The agent, Nadim, his brain supplies, is clinging to a bundle of fabrics taped to the bullet graze in his side. Poindexter is by his side, cradling the injury just above his hip bone. The man sounds like he's in pain, and he uses it like a promise. You really, really screwed up, Ray. One batch. His heart slows down from a breakneck pace. His breathing goes even, his footsteps lighter. He knocks down one of the cops that spots him, manages to escape the attentive eyes of a second one. Two batch. It's impossible to get close to the restaurant, but one thing Frank can always count on is Red leaving a blood trail. He's not surprised to find one after his second sweep around the block. Penny and Dime. The tracks are already cold, and there's two dead bodies on the floor. None of the cops seem to have noticed yet. Both killed from a distance, bottles of some sort thrown at them. The precision of Poindexter's aim is haunting. The blood on the floor is worrying, but not as much as the crimson stain on the wall. There's a lot of it. Doesn't look sprayed like it would be should someone's neck have been cut. But anything else, and Frank can't know for sure. One batch, two batch. He takes the burner from his pocket, pressing the digits to find Red's contact in the admittedly short list. His thumb hovers over the call button. He doubts Red still has the fucking thing after he went on a spree of his own kind and disappeared for two weeks. Only one way to find out. Doesn't think of the bloodstains. Not now. He'll cross that bridge if, when it comes to that. Because either Matt is a hostage and severely injured or... No! God damn it! He presses the button, shoves the phone against his ear. Ringing. Frank's head snaps to the dumpster from where the sound echoes louder, catches a faint suggestion of a bluish-white light, kneels down to reach for it, notices bloodstains there too, ruby handprints coming up from the lower part of the dumpster to the middle. He disconnects the call, shoves his own in his pocket before he flips red open. Only one contact. Because when it came down to it, back then, for a while, Frank was actually the only person red knew he had. A fucking course he kept the phone. There wasn't a single person on this earth red couldn't grow attached to, or, at the very least, find sympathy for. Goddamn bleeding, soft-hearted idiot that he was. 
and now Fisk has him. Fisk, who had killed those three people to make a point, who took their eyes, tied their hands, and made them bleed to death. And Matt, that, injured as bloodstains indicated he was, wouldn't stand a chance fighting the man. One batch, two batch. Frank turns on his heel, cold seeping into his bones, paralyzing every system before it sends him to action. Red's burner safely cradled in his hand before making his way out of there. Tonight, he checks his supplies. He plans. Tomorrow, he strikes. Penny and dime. And if there was no one left to save, Frank will take them all down with him. Every single fucking last one of them. Twenty-four hours later, when he's two days without sleep and readying to bust into the presidential hotel, a text with a video attached reaches his main phone. Do the right thing, Castle. Ray Nadim's face stares at him through the screen. The news of his death comes out two hours later. Mahoney? Oh, for Christ's! The gun pointed at his head is no surprise. The detective looks frazzled, eyes wide and searching. I'm about done with you murderous vigilantes. Give me one reason not to shoot you where you stand, Castle. He's got none, but Frank has a job to do, and until it's done, there's no bullet capable of stopping him. Because either Red is being held somewhere, injured at the hands of his captors, or he's not. And if he isn't, devil ain't like that, and you know it. Frank takes a step forward, and nothing more. He's not about to test his trust on the cop. You sure? Brett motions his head to the building behind them. Because I just pulled a British-sounding douchebag hanging from his ankle from the side of a ten-story building, claiming he fell. You know anything about that? His heart jumps. Muscles coil into tight strings. Frank files the information away, as he controls the derailing rhythm of his breathing. It could have been Matt. Safe. Alive. Or someone else. His eyes burn into Mahoney's. You think he did it? I don't know what to think, Castle. Yeah, Frank felt the same. He motions to the gun with a nod of his head. You gonna keep that on me, Mahoney? You bet your ass I will! Brett shakes his head, helplessness spreading like a disease. What the hell do you want, Castle? Coming after me in broad daylight? You saved my life once. That don't make us friends. Got something. Make sure it gets to the right people. He reaches for his phone and gestures for him to take it. Mahoney shifts his hold on the gun with a nervous twitch of his fingers, eyes going from Frank to the device before he finally took a hand off the handgun and plucked the phone from Frank's paw. The screen lights up. Nadim's face shows on it. And should be considered my dying declaration. Brett adjusts his hold on the phone, wide eyes coming back to Frank before jumping down to the screen. What is this? FBI agent. Was killed a few hours ago in his house. Got shot in the head. He was caught in Fisk's bullshit. Confessed to everything he knew. Including... He takes a breath then. Fisk being the one to send those mercenaries after Nelson. Mahoney's eyes snap to his. Foggy? Frank only offers a nod in response. Seems like there wasn't a single person who knew the man, even if vaguely, and wasn't shaken by his death. Brett's gun points down. His shoulders fall. He gestures to the phone. You suddenly up for law and order now? The Marine shakes his head. Not me. Red. Always fucking red. You get it to lawyers and prosecutors you trust. Karen will take care of the rest. What? Karen Page? Wait! Castle! Frank stops walking away. I can't let you leave! Not about letting, though, is it? Nadim's dead. Karen's in danger. Matt isn't even more. And Frank has a job to do. You do what you gotta do. He walks away. Mahoney doesn't stop him. 
Matt sits shivering on the fire escape as he listens to Dex finding Julie's body, frozen in the cold room. There are screams that make his bones vibrate inside his flesh, and he gathers his own shaking, injured arm close to his torso, curled up tighter into himself. The shivers had started twenty minutes ago. He knows what infection smells like, and right now his arm is the focus of the scent. It will soon spread, if the antibiotics he had scrounged for in his bag didn't keep it from doing so. And if the shivers and the elevated heat coming off his own body was anything to go by, it was already seeping into his bloodstream. After Poindexter leaves, it's easier. He lets the deranged man clear a destructive path through the wedding ceremony. Who's? Why? Happening inside the presidential, and stumbles through the back doors, climbing up to the secret room he had found four or so weeks ago. Before Dex reaches the main saloon, however, the wedding, Fisk's, Vanessa's, stops short. A voice echoes from hundreds of phones around the building. A voice Matt recognizes. The agent from the Redfish Blue. The one who had tried to help Matt. And nothing but the truth. The following statement is given of sound mind and body and should be considered my dying declaration. He heads to the penthouse. Direct across to Fisk's quarters would have been a given, considering what the room is clearly intended for. And Matt is darkly amused when she finally steps foot in the place. It reeks of the man whose voice was trapped in a constant echo in his head. It reeks of power and luxury. Will you do what it takes, Red? Frank's voice, a soft whisper by his buzzing ears. There's something sad in it, regretful. He feels like reminding Frank he was the one to tape a gun to his hand once. But this is not Frank. This is Matt's head. Had been Matt's head all along. Trying its hardest to run away from this. From the truth. Is this what you are? Frank asks yet again. This who you are, Red? No, he whispers back, like a lifetime ago. It's who I have to be. Frank is muted down to a presence, voiceless, wordless, a weight on his shoulders as he creeps inside Fisk's living quarters, tracking the man's steps as he reaches for the door. He thinks he can taste the Marine's disappointment in the air, before reminding himself that he's not there, not now. He wonders if he'll get to tell him goodbye. Does he want to say goodbye, though? Does he want to be the one that leaves this time? Get himself killed when Frank, hard-headed, stubborn Frank, was waiting for him to come back? The importance of all those questions fall to the back of his mind, once hasty footsteps make their way up the stairs to the main room. Matt takes a step into the hallway, faces, for the second time, the man who killed Foggy, who took everything away, and then he has no doubts. Fisk had too many second chances. He doesn't deserve an ounce of his mercy. It's over. Nowhere to run. Nowhere to hide. The only way Fisk walks out of this alive is if Matt allows him to, and he's not feeling particularly magnanimous. His frame shivers. His arm screams a high-pitched agony song. But the pain doesn't shut him down. It lights him up. It tells him there's work to do. That it's not time to rest just yet. That Matt is burning from the inside out, and he's got to make his enemies burn with him. There's no hell on earth capable of keeping Matt from what he came here to do. Frank's voice, deep and fading, in the back of his mind. There's no coming back for you, Red. Matt doesn't want to come back. He's dead anyway. Has been living on borrowed time since the warehouse, playing in the fantasy of a life he'd never have again, stuck in the neverland of Frank's safe houses. He thinks he roars before pouncing. The injury in his arm tears open at the strength that Fist's giant hand grabs back at him. Matt kicks and hits and breaks something. A rib? A finger? He doesn't know. He doesn't care. Keeps hitting until he's being lifted from the ground and thrown violently through the drywall. 
His head hurts so fiercely that he's convinced he can't move for a few cluster of seconds. His ears ring. His ribs ache. His arm shivers like a dead weight by his side. Cold sweat pooling on his neck. His senses are getting muddy. Head flickers on and off with the heat. But Matt doesn't stop. He's been pushed past his breaking point a long time ago, and now it hardly matters. He kicks again and again, follows a familiar clinking sound until his fingertip reaches the cool surface of a broken glass from a painting's frame, uses his right hand even if the palm is shredded and in so much agony due to the infection that, for a moment, Matt swears he sees white burst behind his eyes in sheer torturing pain. Foggy strolls by his side, throws him a sunshine smile. How do you say lawyers in Spanish? He shoves the glass at Fisk's side, hears it slide through. The man yells in surprise more than pain, and Vanessa cries out behind them. Matt cares little for her, no matter what Felix Manning mentioned about her involvement to all of this. Oh, abogatos, he tells him. Foggy makes an exaggerated gesture. El grande avocados! Chuckling, Matt hangs onto his friend's arm, and just in that moment, the two of them crossing the campus arm in arm, he's truly happy. He's truly safe. Matt scurries away from Fisk, right arm hanging limp and uncooperative by his side. Salt water fills the air, violates his lips. Vanessa is crying, and the devil takes curious note of it, of Fisk's reaction to it, the stench of fear, worry, dread. Not for himself, but for her. She was important. The devil makes a call before Matt Murdock can. He changes course, prowls towards her, arms dangling loosely by his side. No! Fisk bellows, before crying out, Vanessa, run! The devil speaks for him when he snarls. Did you give Foggy a chance to run? Something stops him just short of reaching out. Is this what you are? Frank asks, perched on his shoulder, weighing Matt down to the ground. Is this what you are, Red? He lets Vanessa run, turning to Fisk instead. The behemoth of a man manages to stand up, hands clenched tight to the injury to his side. Fisk attacks. Matt lets him come at him. Thick fingers dig and prod at the open injury in his overheated arm, and Matt cries out in agony. Knees try to buckle. He doesn't allow himself to pause, uses the pain as fuel, kicks the lamp he gets knocked against and manages to throw it at Fisk, and his one misstep is enough to send the man tumbling down a flight of stairs. Matt follows him down in a cadenced descent. Fisk wheezes out a dry laugh. I have no interest in killing Mr. Nelson! The name spoken through his voice makes Matt's stomach turn. The release of that unfortunate video was... untimely. It complicated things. Fisk stands up. Matt cradles a big piece of glass in his bleeding hand. But you threatened Vanessa, and for that, I made you a promise. I'll put Mr. Nelson in the ground, he tells Matt again and again and again in his dreams. I'll put Mr. Nelson in the ground. Franklin Nelson's death is on you and you alone. He pounces with a scream, punches again and again and again, so much until he can barely feel his hands. Fisk manages to get a hold of him, even then, sends him crashing into the table. The wood gives way under the massive strength with which he's thrown. Matt passes out. It's only a second or two, maybe more, but then he hears it. Where is he, you piece of shit? Frank? No, he's hearing him again, hearing voices again. Huge hands take his collar, thrusts him back against the splintered wood. Matt's scream leaves him in a hoarse cry. The shivers racking through him worsen. Hands at him again. Matt digs his fingers into the wrist until his nails break the skin, bends a thick hand backwards, and threatens breaking it before gearing up for a punch. 
a gunshot, a floor down from them. It gets him jumping up to his feet, fists colliding with the giant man's cheek. It's not imagined, is it? That's... A punch almost gets him, and Matt jumps back, takes one of the broken pieces of the table and throws it up to the chandelier. It crashes, but Fisk manages to jump out of the way. He takes two of the crystals he finds as batons, his heart tearing at the seams, reaching for two different places at once. His senses instinctively tune into Frank, a heartbeat distorted almost beyond recognizable by the stench of fear and anger clouding it. With the same vigor, he screams at the devil. He screams at Matt in his head. Is this who you are? What did you do to him? He pushes and pushes and crowds the man into a corner, beats him black, blue, and bloody, and thinks of stabbing both of the weapons into his chest, tearing his heart right out of him. A shout of pain. Frank. That's Frank. He stops. Fist is practically unable to move, kneeling on the floor. Thinks of Foggy, young, a smile on his face. Oh, you're my roomie. Thinks of them both, ten years later. That same gentle, sunshine smile directed at Matt. What are friends for, right? And Frank, one floor down. What did you do to him? He growls. Matt staggers back, hands shaking. Where is he? Frank came back, came looking. Of course he did. And I'll kill anyone else in this town if it means you're safe. He screams. God, he screams until his voice leaves him completely. Standing there, between salvation and justice and something else entirely. Screams because there's nothing he wants more, needs more, than to kill the man kneeling in front of him, at his mercy. What did you do to him? Frank roars downstairs. Do it! Fist demands, blood dripping from his face, his side, his hands. Kill me! I got you, Red. Frank's voice echoes its way back to his ears. And Foggy's, a reminder of what light felt like, even if Matt had forgotten a long time ago what it looked like. He closes his eyes and makes a decision. Kieran releasing the video is expected. The whole commotion with the devil copycat suddenly turning on Fisk is not. Poindexter comes into the presidential after Fisk's blood, and he's not the only one. On the stairs, Frank catches up to him. He's limping. There's a tear in his suit right at the seam above his hip bone that someone got a good hit in. Frank makes quick use of it, jumps out of hiding to shoot him right through the thigh. Dex sees it in the last possible second, dodges it so the bullet only grazes the durable cloth. A baton, bloodstained and dirty, is thrown at his face. Frank falls. The other man pounces. He shakes himself off, reaches for the forgotten handgun while he keeps the man away from him with his other arm. A strike at his hand, still healing from being stabbed through the week before, gets him changing tactics. Instead, Frank bucks and rolls them over, digs his hand into the man's injured belly, and hears him cry out in pain. Punches him once, twice, in the face, so he's disoriented enough for him to reach for his gun. Hands keep him from achieving his goal for the second time. Something sharp stabs through his side, and he screams. Frank kicks. The hit connects, and there's an audible clack of teeth slamming shut. Hands dig at his legs. The movement jostles the scissors stuck to him. Frank takes the gun and shoots. A scream tears through the whole floor. A crying woman runs past them. Poindexter holds his bleeding knee with both hands, attempting to move. Frank puts another bullet in there for good measure. Where is he, you piece of shit? He growls. Poindexter gasps for breath when Frank puts a booted foot on his chest before wheezing out a laugh. A chill seeps into his bones. The carousel goes round and around. Lisa waves at him when she passes by. He stomps down on the man's shot knee with all his strength. Another scream that fades into a groan. 
What did you do to him? Wheezing, panting breaths. Frank presses down harder. Tomorrow, baby, he tells her. Take me home, Nat begs. Where is he? The man gurgles in the blood that comes from a missing molar, forgotten on the floor. A taunt comes in the form of a bloody smirk. They always twitch while they're dying. His heartbeat goes dead, flat lines in his chest for about a minute as he stares down at the bleeding man. And then it's booming again, furious against his ribs, a bull snapping in a cage. Like Nelson and... He squeezes the trigger. Two shots, dead center in his C7 and C8 through the stomach. Paralyzed, unable to do shit about the fact that his insides are quickly becoming his outsides. Paralyzed, which doesn't mean he can't feel the pain. Nah, he feels every second of it. The cops reach the penthouse, go past the fake daredevil as Frank hides in the shadows. Back against the wall, something dead and rotting in his chest. Matt is... No. No, this ain't happening again. It's just not. Frank reloads. Fisk is a single flight of stairs up. Doesn't matter if the cops take him after that. Nothing matters once the piece of shit is dead and rotting six feet under, like whatever had been growing the last two months. And now... Now... He almost makes it there. It's D-Day in his heart, and the gunfire never stops while the carousel does another round. And Red begs him, begs with tears running down his face, to, Please, please take me home. He'll never go home again. Frank reaches the last step, takes the safety off his handgun, only for Brett's voice to reach him. Boss, what do we do with Daredevil? That man is not Daredevil, he states, points at something just out of Frank's sight. He is. He is, it repeats. Like the carousel, it goes around and around and around. Like Lisa, it bleeds and meat spills out of it into the recesses of his brain, fills every nook and cranny. Like red blood in that warehouse. Frank bleeds here. He stands, finger tapping on the trigger. Adrenaline leaves him. His blood pressure drops. Static plays at the edges of his sight. He is alive? Dead? Dying? Injured? Something happens between standing there, listening to Mahoney and feeling the strange bubbling that he'd dare call hope in another lifetime, and retching outside of the building. Frank is out and shaking as night falls hidden from the countless cop cars and press cameras as he gathers whatever is left inside of him to walk the way back to his car. Holy shit, Frank! Kurt shakes his head at the state of him, but gets inside anyway, medical bag in one arm. What accusation he'd carried on the heavy drag of his shoulders on his way in leaves as soon as he takes a second look at him, like he could see it plain on his face. Curtis sighs, takes a cursory glance of his wounds before putting a hand over the Marine's shoulder. He steers them towards the couch, and Frank allows him to. They sit down in silence. Frank doesn't say a word. He's hollowed out, still waiting for the other shoe to drop, for the radio to mention something, anything, that told him what happened, waiting for proof that... He's not even sure at that point. Tomorrow, baby, he tells her. If something happens to you, I... Matt's softening face because even if he thought it tooth and nail later, he understood it then, saw it in the uncanny clever way of his, saw the truth of what it was, the overwhelming growing thing cannibalizing Frank's chest from day one. Kurt, he rasps out, voice wavering, dreading. The man stops, looks at him. Frank can't tear his eyes away from his brothers, the same helplessness of that day in the park creeping into him and tearing his skin away from his body, leaving him bare to the world. He can't say it. He can't... He... Did he... Did he kill? No. Mahoney said... 
could just as easily been a body and not Matt. Stupidly brilliant and ridiculously kind Matt. Frank, what happened? He shakes his head. He can't. He can't say it. Stitch by stitch, Kurt closes up the open wound on his side, where Dex stabbed a pair of office scissors through. There's mention of a leaked video and Wilson Fisk's return to custody, but not a single one mentioning Matt Murdock's name. Stitch by stitch by stitch, until Frank is patched up and sitting, waiting. God help him if Red's alive and decides to skip town. Frank will hunt him to the end of the world and drag him back by his fucking hair. God help him if he just fucking leaves after he thought... But Red, he's not the kind to leave people behind. Frank said it once, says it again. Kid isn't capable of standing idle and allowing someone to get hurt. And he had to know what it'd do to him if he just disappeared. He fucking had to. A window pane slides open. Frank jumps up just as Kurt does the same. An emaciated, bruised, and broken figure slips inside. The hollow doesn't immediately go. It stays. It lingers. Frank watches Red, and Red waits, standing there, blood running down his mangled right arm and dripping down onto his fucking floor. Knows with a certainty that he'd fuss about it later. Looks uncomfortable and apologize a hundred times. Because a lacerated artery? It's nothing. He'll be fine. But Frank's floor better not be fucking dirty or he'll make a fuss about it. God damn him. And then it hits him. All of it. The 48 plus hours he spent awake, looking for him. The past weeks he'd turned the radio on. That thing clawing in his chest at the mere thought of hearing news of his death. Matt standing alive. You son of a bitch! Frank stomps towards him with a pronounced limp, step after step after step, expecting Matt fucking Murdoch to flinch away. But he only stands there, eyes soft and teary, like Frank hadn't been the one already mourning him an hour ago. Matthew's hands come up. Frank's hands go down, pushes him away. Matt stumbles, pale and shivering and so goddamn skinny, but holds on to him all the same, like he knows Frank's not letting go, like he doesn't want him to. You son of a bitch, I thought you were dead! Matt holds on tighter, eyes shimmering with unshed tears. When his voice comes, it's small, almost a whisper. Hi, Frank. Frank breathes heavily, hellfire charring at his guts and reaching the very marrow of his bones. Feels like a fucking idiot, standing there with the weight of that grief still in his mind. That bastard said. God, he can't. Even now, just the thought of it. Just the thought. I thought... Matt's breath shudders. He holds on tighter to his arms. Holds Frank up on his feet. Frank. Fuck you, Maddie. His palms cradle the back of his head, card through his red locks. God, he's burning up in fever. Palms him for injuries. Finds the ugly, bright red stab wound in his arm. Badly washed and badly dressed. He growls unhappily at all the wounds. Every single fucking one of them. Drags Matt closer. Fuck you. You don't get to do that. You hear me? You don't get to die on me. You got that? Frank. Weak, but no less certain. I'm sorry. Frank's next exhale drags his suffocating weight from his lungs. He drags him for a kiss. Lips meet his. Wet and trembling and feverish, but there, against his own. There, alive. I'm sorry. He mumbles between one kiss and the other. I'm sorry. Shut your mouth. He whispers into his tongue. Cradles his head closer before dragging him for something like a hug. Can't use his right side because of the stab under his ribs. Red can't use his right arm because of the infected injury on it. So it becomes holding, desperate in a way Frank can't put words to. In a way, he thinks, that he doesn't need to. Frank. Kurt's voice interrupts softly. He gestures at Red. Let me take a look at him. 
stitch after stitch again. Kurt tries his best at pulling Matt back together, gives him proper antibiotics, and washes the wound twice before dressing it again. Painkillers are left on the counter, although Matt is most likely to refuse them. The third man leaves when morning comes, and the two of them stay behind, side by side on Frank's flea-bitten couch. The radio falls to static. Red twitches towards the noise, and Frank, out of habit, brings him back to earth. Did you do it? They're both aware he knows the answer too well. Maybe had known from day one. And soon enough, a shake of his head, a painful grimace. Frank wonders if he could ever know how that feels, to want so desperately for something that it feels like a necessity, and to still be strong enough not to give in to it. But that's Matt in a nutshell, isn't it? Doesn't know when to give up, when to stop fighting, stop trying so goddamn hard. Frank brings him for a soft kiss to his forehead. Remember when you said... Matt stops, clears his throat from the hoarseness. When you said we can go away for a while? Frank looks at him, still feeling unreal, out of his skin. Matt seems to sense it, hands fumbling for him, finding Frank's own paws and grasping them in a tight hold. Knew it from day one. Red had hooked him in from day one. Built Frank the perfect cage, one he didn't bother escaping. I remember. Can we? Frank nods, drags him close. Yeah. Yeah, we can, Red. Karen kept his bills paid up, so Matt returns to his place a week later. It feels like a mistake. Foggy is everywhere these days, in the armchair he once sat on, his heart heavy in his chest, betrayal thick in his words. He's in the shelves he helped Matt organize when he first moved. He's in silk sheets he teased Matt about. Frank's hand bumps his own, the skin over his knuckles thick with scar tissue. Matt turns to him, acknowledges the reminder of the offer he made Matt before they left the car. Frank sees it, but apparently finds the need to say it out loud again. If it's too soon... His index finger reaches to trace Matt's cheek, following the contour of his face. Matt wishes he could see him, check for himself if the intensity of Frank's gaze was just as visible as it felt to him. You can always come back, Red. I know. Softly. It's difficult to speak much. He's run out of things to say. Knowing hasn't stopped the night terrors and flashbacks. It only gave them a background. A much worse reality to wake up to. I'll be fine. There's not much conviction in the words, but Frank respects it anyway, taking a step away and letting Matt walk the rest of the way inside. There's little time until Foggy's funeral. A proper one this time, since his body hadn't been released to the Nelson family since the warehouse massacre. A last chance to say goodbye. Matt clears the tears from his face, makes his way to his closet to scrounge for the least dusty suit he could find, gets lost between putting it on and falling to pieces on his bedroom floor, because this is happening. He's burying his best friend, the kindest, genuinely good person he knew, a person he'd known for longer than he knew his own dad. Frank allows him the privacy while he cries, and deep, gut-wrenching sobs, and stays just by the door. When he's done, Still hiccuping, but with no sounds leaving him, he comes inside, cradles him gently, so gently, helps him into clean briefs, then his pants, the button-up shirt, the suit jacket, scarf and gloves, kisses his forehead, the tip of his nose, both of his tear-stained cheeks. He doesn't need to say it out loud. Matt hears it like the church bells from his childhood. I got you. I got you. He can't handle his own weight, but forces himself to stand. Ready to go? He wants to stop then, right then, separate himself from the moment and go far, far away. 
But running away from Foggy? He could never do it. Not ever again. Not yet. Frank turns to him, quiet, sturdy, and there, always there for him. There's someone I want to be there with me. Someone he doesn't want to run away from, not anymore. Frank nods and doesn't ask. They both head to St. Agnes. It's surreal standing there, Maggie to his left, Karen to his right, Frank standing by the car outside of the church, Foggy in front of him. His body smells wrong, so wrong. There's none of him in any of the sensory cues he get. The world on fire always registered death like a missing spot, a blank space. There's no heartbeat. He'd never hear his heartbeat again. No breathing. No strawberry drugstore-bought shampoo. No overly sweet coffee. There's little of Foggy in the body laid down inside the open casket. And the chemicals just make it worse. Whatever it is, they used to keep his body intact for almost two months. Matt can't identify by scent. But his skin is saturated with it. For a few minutes, Matt is convinced he's hallucinating. But then he touches him. Nose, eyes, cheeks, mouth. Unconsciously, he steers clear of his forehead. The wrinkles by his eyes that always deepened when he smiled. The smoothness of his jaw. It's foggy. And his death is all the more real for it. Because up until that point, it had been a vague certainty. No less painful for it, but still based on memories that felt as blurry as he had been when it happened. Now, it's impossible to run from, or to twist reality in a nicer shape. Foggy lays in that casket, and there's nothing Matt could ever do to change that. He's so conserved, Matt swears, for a small moment, that he'll open his eyes and smile gently up at him. What are you crying for, buddy? He'd ask, always worrying, always fussing. Was it Marley and me again? You know you can't watch that movie, Matt. And Matt would hug him, hold him so tight, so goddamn tight, and he'd never, ever let go. But he lays there, and Matt stands over him, hands trembling violently where he touches his cold, rigid skin, the texture corrupted by the chemicals he was kept in. I'm sorry, he whispers. A tear runs down to his lips and coats his tongue. I can't do this without you. It tears him apart. Matt's no good at goodbyes. Never had the chance for goodbyes. And now, I love you. One last truth for a man he lied so much to. I can't do this without you, Foggy. Matt feels like he's the one underground when they finally, at last, put Foggy Nelson's body to rest. One month later. I talked to the landlady. She said that as long as we pay, we can take our time. Come back when we're ready, Karen tells him, stepping out of the building to join Matt outside. He drops his hands from the plaque and nods softly, unsure of how to feel. We, mm, we can make another one, you know, if it hurts too much. Matt turns to her. Karen clears her throat. With just your name, if you come back. Her voice fades at the last two sentences. Matt shakes his head, stops, then shakes it again. No, I. He swallows thickly, raises his hands to trace the N from Nelson for the twentieth time that morning, again and again. I want his name here. This was our firm, our dream. Even if we crashed at the end, it will always be. Karen sees it before he does, comes to hug him before he spirals down. Matt breathes deeply, adjusts the strap of the heavy bag over his shoulder. Karen notices the motion, stepping away. You're leaving tomorrow morning, right? Yeah. He wipes at his eyes behind the red shades. Claire said I'm okay to travel as long as I stick to the meds. And your therapist? 
so that it'd be a good time to take some time to myself. I'm taking the rescue meds, just in case. Karen nods, holds his hand tighter for just a moment, and then, in a whisper, he'd never blame you for this, Matt. His stomach twists. He needs to throw his head back to the sky so he can breathe properly. Even then, tears run down his temples to get lost in hair strands. He turns to her, nods against her shoulder. I'll be here. His hand goes back to the M, traces it all the way to the L before coming back to it again. Yeah, it's a promise. One he'll keep. I'll be back. She hugs him again, and they stand there for a long time. Ten minutes, Rev. Matt nods absently towards Frank, shifting his cane between his palms, careful of the right one. The injuries were healed, but nerves had been damaged, and it still hurt some time. People stand up to head to the bus, but Matt stays sitting there, chest tight, head reeling, and still strangely quiet. I never left New York, he tells him. Frank's hand comes to gently grab his own, sitting back down on the empty seat to his left. I thought I would after college with Electra, but things went wrong between us, and I never thought about it again. Frank nods, no judgment in his gaze, just there, taking in everything Matt gives him. You change your mind, Matt. We come right back. Frank reaches to pet the hair at the back of his head. Physical touch, his therapist had realized, was a powerful way to ground him, especially with senses like his own. And Frank, as everything he'd done since they stopped fighting the fact that they just felt too strongly about each other by this point to just walk away, hadn't taken it for granted, absorbed it into their routine. Did you? I did. Couldn't leave without visiting him one last time. Wasn't sure when he'd come back, after all. So he brought him sunflowers, instead of white lilies. Because that's all that Foggy had been to him. A son. A warm light. A loving friend. Family. Frank deepens the pressure behind his hold, drags Matt closer to kiss his forehead chastely. Sweetheart, he whispers, and Matt closes his eyes at the sheer emotion behind the word, the sensory cues Frank can't hide from him. Here now. He taps his index finger against Matt's head gently. He hums in response, enjoys the warmth and the intimacy before they separate. Ready? Matt nods and takes Frank's hand. The man brings him for a sweet, short kiss to his knuckles before doing the same to his lips. They head to the bus out of New York. One day, he'll come back. But first, he needs to find out how to live in a world without Foggy Nelson. And he didn't figure he'd learn that anytime soon. And meanwhile, maybe, he can learn to have Frank Castle in his life. This is how I destroyed you, and this is how I kept you alive. Poems and excerpts taken from In Order of Appearance The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot Dream of the Phone Booth by Amelia Phillips This Gentle Surge by Malachi Black Moss Retains Moisture by Matthew Roher Advice from Dionysus by Shinji Moon Trigger Warnings Self-Harm it's not clear if it's intentional or not, but Matt punches a mirror, causing minor cuts to his hands and arms. Graphic description of murder, Foggy's and other characters' deaths are depicted in detail. Throwing up, being sick. Terribly inconsiderate of me not to mention it before, but there are mentions of Matt throwing up several times throughout the story. Grief, mourning. I thought I should tag this, because this work goes into a lot of detail on Matt's loss and mental state, and since the pandemic, a lot of people lost loved ones, or acquaintances, so beware. Eating disorders. It's mentioned only in passing, but I thought it was important to tag anyway. 
As Matt's mental and physical state declines, his eating habits go right down with them and he loses a lot of weight. Blood, injury, and mild gore. Frank and Matt get hurt badly a lot of times throughout this work. There's mentions of gunshot wounds, stab wounds, and infected wounds. Suicidal ideations. It's mentioned more than once that Matt blames himself for Foggy's death and considers ending it all during or after his quest for Fisk and all of the other people responsible.